<laughs> What's happening, weirdos? This is Jesse Fox, the senior editor for Vulture. Uh, Jesse has been a pal of mine for a couple years, many years, more than a couple. We've had many wonderful conversations about comedy, about stand-up comedy, about show business and the craft. And uh, we thought it would be fun to sit down and do what we're now calling the first You Made It Weird comedy comedy episode. Like they do comedy episode, uh, comedy issues and magazines and stuff. This is the comedy episode of You Made It Weird because Jesse is certainly uh, an authority. And it was very fun to talk with him. Uh, you know, an authority in the way that we're all authorities because we can all enjoy comedy in certain ways. But he's a very interesting uh, authority in the way that we're all authorities. You get it. I love Jesse. I love this conversation. It was super fun. Uh, let's get to it. Sorry, by the way, for the bad audio quality. I'm recording this in a hotel. Um, we do have some fun things to plug, though, including a live You Made It Weird with me and Kenny G. That's right. Me and Kenny G, who's one of the most interesting people in the world, no joke, are going to be doing a live conversation at Largo, if you're going to be in L.A., on March 18th. And then on March 25th, I'll be back at Largo for my Living at Largo show, which is always incredible. As I mentioned the last one, uh, Zach Galifianakis was there. Sarah Silverman often does it. It's always, always, always my favorites uh, in town, and it's always the highlight of my month. And... March 18th, I'll be sitting down for a full-length chat with Kenny G. We haven't done a live You Made It Weird in a while. It would be awesome if you guys could come out. So tickets for both of those are at Largo-LA.com. I am super, super excited to talk with him. There's so much you don't know. There's so much you don't know about the G. And we are going to get into it. Uh, also, I am on the road currently. Uh, you can come and see me and the hilarious Lara Bites. The dates confirmed are Cleveland, San Jose, Houston, Phoenix, and St. Louis. Tickets for all of those are at PeteHolmes.com. Uh, and I also want to give a shout out to our sponsor. My Pete's pick for this episode is my favorite, Kachaba. I'm on the road. Hard to eat healthy. Hard to eat plant-based. Hard to get enough plant-based protein. Hard to get enough plant-based superfood nutrition in my life, especially when I'm on the road. And that's why I always travel with Kachava. Kachava is a peach pick because I love it and I use it. It is a plant-based superfood drink mix made with the most nutrient-rich exotic superfoods that have been revered by tribal cultures for centuries. It's 100% plant-based. It has omega-3s, which we all know we need, but not from weird anonymous fish that have been factory farmed and rooting around in their own crap. It's from plants, chia seeds, flax seeds, a wonderful source of omega-3 fatty acids. It's got eight superfruits. It's got 17 greens and veggies. There's no gluten. There's no soy. There's no artificial sweeteners. There's no preservatives. It's got, or artificial preservatives, I should say. It's got uh, just enough coconut nectar, which is a low glycemic sweetener, which will not spike your blood sugar in the way that sugar does. And it's got powdered coconut milk in it, which means all you have to do is add water, shake it up. It becomes creamy and chocolatey or vanilla-y if you're nasty. Uh, and you can get digestive support built in, 24 grams of plant-based protein built in, 9 grams of fiber built in. But the kick is it's actually delicious. I always joke that Val loves it, meaning she doesn't like a lot of the weird hippie foods that I eat. She loves it. I make it for her with almond milk and frozen strawberries. It tastes like a strawberry chocolate milkshake. But the best part is it makes you feel amazing. It gets you high on nutrients like macaroon, which is wonderful for vitality 
for energy. Rock a Cow, which is an incredible mood elevator and also gives you wonderful energy and nutrients that are hard to find in uh, processed and garbage foods. Uh, I got it to add it to my smoothie, but it turns out it is the smoothie. It's a meal replacement, keeps you full for hours. A lot of people use cachava for weight management. I use it because it gets me high, basically. It makes me feel fantastic, makes me feel full for hours. It's fast, it's easy, it's healthy. It's Kachava. And you get 20% off. Show your support of this always free podcast by going to Kachava, K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash weird. And you will automatically get 20% off your order and show your support for this show. All right, guys. Hope to see you at Largo for a live You Made It Weird with Kenny G on March 18th. Or doing stand-up on March 25th. And I hope to see you on the Silly Silly Fun Boy Tour, Cleveland, San Jose, Houston, Phoenix, and St. Louis. Hope to see you out there. In the meantime, enjoy my chat with the wonderful Jesse Fox, senior editor of Vulture, for the first ever You Made It Weird comedy. I'm going to say extravaganza. Get into it. Let's call this the comedy issue. You know, man, every time there is, you kind of mentioned this in your email to me, every, I feel like, I don't mean to whine. So much of my life, I was just watching Mulaney on Colbert, and they were talking about the need to be liked and stuff, and I don't know if you saw it, it was last night. I have not yet. And um, it was interesting, but they were talking about the need to be liked, and I was like, I feel like Colbert has some really good wisdom on this, and he did it. You know, everyone, I don't know, I I don't see Colbert every night or anything like that, but every once in a while he'll drop something really profound, and I I talk to the screen, I go, come on, Stephen, I know you got something good. Because he's a brilliant man. Yeah, just when he decides to turn it on. Exactly. Because I think if you turn it on every night, you'd burn yourself out. I don't think you could do it every night. No. So I'm hoping he's in the mood for nude, you know what I mean? Like, I'm hoping, because Mulaney brings up anxiety and wanting to be liked, and then Colbert is in that more Mr. Rogers-y kind of mode. And I I was really hoping that he would, because obviously with this podcast, those are the types of conversations that I value. So with that in mind... He he was saying that I know there are people that don't like me. I'm speaking as Colbert, and he's like, everyone loves me, and um, and he, and he was like, and that's okay. Like, it, I'm not for everybody. It it felt very sort of zen in that, like, not nothing. What business is that of mine? Yeah. Like, I'm just gonna do what I do. I hope to connect and, and entertain and delight. But like, how could I be for everybody? Right. That being said. Every time there's a comedy issue, <laughs> like I don't know who I don't even know who does it, but Rolling Stone, everyone, everyone, Esquire, but us, GQ always does. GQ one. every every time it's just a, a, a private jet zipping past me. I I make fun of, <laughs> I make fun of them constantly because I always make fun of them. I go what the I, issues the issues. I go. I mean, I'll tweet and be like, oh, if there's a comedy issue, then I know that's for me. That's the most hilarious. surface level coverage of comedy for places that don't normally cover comedy right it's like what are the nerds up to yeah it's sort of like and then (laughs) periodically they're like here are the people and it's always just slightly wrong and slightly they don't have the vocabulary because they've not trained to know how to describe any other comedian it's always the same thing and (laughs) so they use the same terms kind of jokester yeah, or they'll compare to the only people they know. They're like, here are the four comedians we've all agreed we know who are. Yeah. And then like, well, this one's like this person, this person's like that person. Yeah. And I I 
ultimately they're mostly benign so i i can make fun of them easily it's much it's worse when pe- certain publications use the uh the guise of a comedy issue to like rant and like talk about comedy as if they really really know it like i think if you're recommending people great people need to be recommended people need to hear about up and coming comedians yeah but when you're like me a person who is not weighted to the conversation about what comedy is or shouldn't be i'm deciding to take this to like talk about why it's often like why political correctness is ruining comedy. This is why me. Dude, we were just ranting about that. I'm sorry. Yeah. A lot of things. This is our comedy issue. Yeah, yeah. We're with Jesse Flax. I'm sorry. We don't normally do an intro. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing one. And you're the senior. What's your title? My current title is senior editor, but we've been working for about a year to try to find a new title and we haven't figured it out. Ooh. Senior associate regional <laughs> domestic comedy guy. Guy. It's because. I don't edit anything, and yet my title has the word edit in it. Editor. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think, like, J. Jonah Jameson was, like, editing things. I don't I, think he was like, you got too many run-on sentences, Parker. He's just the guy that's sort of like, <laughs> that was a solid edit yeah, riff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of, like, chill today, and yeah. I really, I want you to know I'm legitimately happy to have you oh, on. Thank you. And I'm legitimately happy to see you. Every time we've talked, I really enjoyed it, and I didn't mean to der- to derail First of all, what we were just saying with me complimenting my J. Jonah Jameson yes. rip and also what you were saying about comedy issues. Yeah. But like in a fun way, let's have this be yeah. a good comedy yeah, issue. I think, so. That's I think the hope. That, that was sort of the conceit. We haven't like I don't always talk about comedy on the show. Like it's one of those things that like we either do or we don't. I want to put this to you. Because mm-hmm. only because I think it's interesting. And as much as we can talk as if people aren't listening. Sure. I was talking to a friend of mine who I guess I'll leave him out of it. <laughs> a male saying, comedian friend of yours. Yes, that's right. And I was, We know who your friends are, so oh we can all... Oh, my God. We can all guess. Well, I didn't say I left a voicemail, so it wasn't Mulaney. <laughs> yeah. Okay, burn. Burn. I'm just kidding. John's actually very good at answering the phone. He's just a huge star. Yeah. And Kumail, I could make the same joke about Kumail. Who's a huge, literally a huge star now. Literally a huge star. He's made out of dark wood. <laughs> yes. Beautiful, oiled-up wood. I'm seeing him tonight. I will say, you should tell this to him, which is that... I'm going to say congrats on your pec That is a thing. That crossed over to a type of audience who is not talking about comedy that... Like, I have a personal trainer, and they're like, did you see Kamel's photos? Oh, no way. Like, that is like a weird, like... No, everybody was talking about it. The workout community. That and like... Oh, even the the workout community was into it. Wow. I told that to the comedian Joel Kambooster, because Joel Kambooster is a very well-built comedian, Uh but he's not just like ripped he's like jacked right and so like i have male friends who i, I don't want think a hierarchy of the adjectives yeah you're the toned then you ripped <laughs> well you're not quite jacked yeah you're meaty yeah so he has and so i have male friends who like working out as a big part of their life who are like i like the comedian joel Kambooster, and most of their exposure to him is just sort of how in shape he is these are straight joel, joel yeah how come i, I don't can... know joel Kambooster? oh you'd love him he's really really good does he make his own kombucha I don't think so. Then I'd know him. <laughs> Actually, I don't really. This is this is. Unrelated. I don't fuck with kombucha. Do you, I was about to say I, I went to I took a vinegar making class. And, yeah, and it started with the woman ranting against kombucha. Against it. Yeah. What was her point? Every time I, I couldn't be more interested. By the way, like, <laughs> I wish there's some people that like ask, "Well, what did you say?" But like, I'm like legit, like on the edge of my seat. I believe she's like, it is useful if you're getting you're coming out of a cold or things like that. But ultimately, it has too much yeast. 
And, That's how I feel. And that is like as far as I was able to understand. Dude, just intuitively, I'm, it's like drinking beer. And I'm like, I'm not really a beer person. Well, I don't drink, but like yeah. non-alcoholic beer is not interesting to me. And kombucha, I'm like, why am I drinking like something that if I baked it would become bread? Yeah, exactly. I don't want to drink that. I don't so want she it. says drink vinegar. Yeah, apple ACV, baby. Yeah, well, she... I'm also is- not interested in a, a, a beverage that tastes bad that has calories. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if it's going to taste like horse shit... At least be like neutral. Yeah. Or good for you. Or good. Yeah. Replace other calories. It's like a treat. I'm drinking vinegar water with bubbles and and a scoop of baker's yeast (laughs) as a treat. Ooh, I've earned it. What did you do? Burn down a Dutch village? (laughs) That's the treat you get for burning down. I don't know why, but it seems old timing. Sure, yeah. What I'm saying is Kumail is ripped. Yeah. And I'm going to say congrats on your pec sess. (laughs) And he's not going to laugh. Yeah, and I do want to know what he's eating, and I'm sure it's boiled chicken breasts. Or, or I've heard sometimes to get the amount of protein you need, you blend the chicken breast. I've heard that too. I know for a fact that he was getting up. I think it was in the post. I didn't read the post. <laughs> uh, it's not that I didn't read the post, but like I, I don't have Instagram yeah. on my phone anymore, so I just missed it. Anyhoozle, I totally could have looked it up. <laughs> Anyhoozle, somebody told me that he would get up at like four or five in the morning and eat and mm-hmm. then go back to bed. And I was like, this doesn't, that doesn't sound bad. Whenever it's like that part. Yeah. The like eating I t- part is fine. Yeah. When Kumail was gaining weight before he got ripped, mm-hmm. I saw him at a party and he was just like eating like a croissant muffin mix yeah. or whatever. And I was like, I want to do this part. Yeah. And then he had, he had to sculpt it all the way. <laughs> so you know, a friend of yours who maybe, Oh yeah. Is, this is, not is just Kumail a fun place Mulaney. for us to start for sure. our comedy issue. I think mm-hmm. it's not Kumail. It's not Mulaney. I mean, the list dwindles. Yeah. The list. She dwindles. <laughs> but um, this person, mm-hmm. who may or may not be a man, but we were talking about comedy lists, mm-hmm. and I sort of gave him, we were sort of like a lot of comedians do, talking about how comedy lists are often unfair, right? We weren't even saying it. We'd say it in the same way, I swear to God, the same exact way Hollywood says awards are unfair. Yeah. We were just sort of like, it's a marketing thing. It's about uh, promoting certain things and getting the word out about certain things. And then we're also, there's like just like certain people catch the wind and catch the cultural interest. So it has a lot to do. Uh, it doesn't have as much to do as you might think as like people really like going to clubs and going yeah. like, who do I like the most? As much yeah. as it's like, who's coming across your desk? Who yeah. are people talking about? Who And also, and this is important, who deserves to be championed? Yeah. That is like a huge – so it's exactly like the Oscars or the Golden Globes in that way, except nobody gives a flying fuck. But when somebody point, I, I, I couldn't mean that more. I'm yeah. not saying that to be like no, false de- self-deprecate. I'm like, no one gives a fuck about comedy lists. Yeah. But what I said to this person was, dude, of course it's somewhat biased when someone asks me in an interview in a formal way to name my five favorite comedians. I don't just rattle off my friends. Yeah. I don't go Kumail, Berbiglia, Mulaney. Like, you you dig in and think of who do you love that maybe they don't know. Yeah. And I was like, how can we expect journalists to not do what we're doing? Yeah. Like, they, you can't, especially if someone falls from grace. Like, obviously, Louis troubled. I understand. Yeah. We're noting that. Like, we don't have to. I just want to know. I understand yeah. the, the controversy, and I, and I, I uh, don't deny it. It's, it's a real thing. And he was is a great comedian. Like, but of course you leave him out. That, yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. Okay. So what other games are at play? 
and and they're also just like the Louis game. They're fair. Yeah. Who are we sweeping in? But when, what do you think about that? When I was like, comedians are doing the same thing journalists are doing. Yeah. So comedians can't get mad at journalists for doing the same thing when you're on the record to be like, let's let's mix this list up. Yeah, I've been thinking. Of, I mean, I th- I thought about. Can't say Chris Rock. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, it's fine. Rock. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. I I <laughs> thought about comedy lists. I promise you more than anyone on earth because very few people have to make them. And I, I don't make them anymore. Partly You're because, J. Jonah Jameson. You don't get those well, Also, here, because you'll see, I sort of like went through the other side of can't, I couldn't do it anymore. Essentially, like, I, when I started at Vulture, I started doing it maybe 2013. I was like, there's a list. There was not that many specials. It's partly like comedy hadn't fully crested. So there's a lot of people that didn't know. You know, I, I think I was recommending Mulaney's first special on that list. Yeah. So and people are like, ooh, this guy's good or whatever. And you're like, yeah, and that's exactly what I'm saying. There, believe it or not, there was a time that we wanted to get the word out about a young upstart named John Mulaney. But so it was uh, way before the sack lunch bunch, yeah. they were still having sack breakfast. If only this was a TV show, you'd see the great <laughs> yeah. pan face I made. So I, the first list, you know, at, when I started in the list is is. I guess I assumed I had good taste. I don't know why I was the guy doing it, and I had a job at a place, and they're they're like, do this, and I, I, I thought about it, but it, there was no value system. I was just sort of like, I. How did you get it? Did you just go in and go, hey, Mister, you like knock knock? So Who's I got. That? So I I was writing for Splitsider, doing daily blogging, and then I got hired to by Vulture just to write about anything. I was not hired to be a comedy writer. I, I was hired to be a generalist. Um, and mostly a news blogger, which is like you, the, it's a different skill set than to be any other type of journalist. Essentially, a news blogger, especially in in that time, which is sort of the peak of blogging, is like being a monologue joke writer. You essentially are like set up the news, tell more information than a monologue joke, and then you have to write a joke at the end. Yeah. And then I was interested in comedy. People it's like, like Succession, where he goes, it's all about the morsels. Yeah. Like you want to write a good morsel. Exactly. You want your sense. <laughs> I mean, it's like joke writing. It's really yeah. like writing a headline. Or it's a show business. Yeah. We could just say it's like show business. Show business. Yeah. So, um, but year end, the first year, people were like, oh, is there any other list people want to do? I was like, I guess I can do stand up specials. Um, it was the year Tignataro's live live came out. Yeah. So, like, there were so few specials I was doing albums counted because there were not enough. And then, so I keep on doing it. And then Imagine I. Imagine that time. And I. I just put out another special while we were talking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just mean so many are out. So, it, so, but somewhere along the way, I was talking to a person who's, who did a comic book list, and he's like, how do you do it? Because when you're doing there's – diff, there's two different jobs for a critic, really. Most movie critics or TV critics, their, their job is to have consistency within their writing, meaning that a reader can read something they wrote, get a sense of their taste, read something else they wrote. And it's consistent. Yeah, so if they're meaning like – part of their job is to not be swayed by like, I'm in a great mood today yeah, and yeah. I loved Why Him. Yeah, so it's basically like – I oh, did love Why Him when they, I was in a good If mood. this person liked this X movie they, they yes. liked, oh, I trust this person's taste. Yeah. And so movie, movie critics, there's hundreds of movie critics. That's cri- a persona. That's, I yeah. think that's really brilliant, Jesse. I think it's, it's helping me – Realize that, of course, movie and TV criticism is show business. Yes. And it's a persona. Meaning, I don't mean it's false, but in the same way that what I do is a persona, meaning I'm leaning into yeah. certain parts of myself. A critic might be in a terrible mood, might watch a movie, and I would hope that in the way that I'm in a terrible mood when I do stand-up sometimes, can find it and still deliver a silly, silly guy. 
they can still deliver a consistent yeah. film I mean, review. That's that is the job. I mean, like that that's is the of, job. That's the job of a critic, <laughs> which is like much more me focused than the broader idea of journalism, which is like which is hypothetically about the story. And then so a critic is like about their opinions and their opinion being right. correct. And then for, which is why when we go, well, the New Yorker thought yeah. the Joker or whatever, like yeah. it, it means something different. Yes, exactly. Because it's coming from. And you might be like, I always disagree <laughs> with the New Yorker. Then fine. Like right. then that's not for you. People, you have that different... means it's good. Yeah, that means exactly, it's working yes. because it's consistent. Yeah, the enemy of your enemy is your friend, whatever that means. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Val has a feeling like that about Rotten Tomatoes. She's like, if it's like a 60, like close to bad, it's probably very good. Yeah, that means it turned off a lot of the wrong people. That's right. So, but the, You uh, don't want that, yeah. Hundo. Yeah. You don't want it. No. Maybe you do. I don't know. But so I... So with the stand-up specialist, the difference is I was the only one making one. Really. Pace sometimes did, but really that was sort of it. Yeah. So I didn't have the – I could not accept that my taste gets to define the entire year of stand-up comedy. As, yeah. as, as further I would go along, I'd be like – I would. so what I'd start doing is like if I laughed at it, I would hold that against it. I'd be like if I'm <laughs> laughing, that means I like it. Let's assume they're all funny. These are all people who are performing in front of an audience. That that's means a, someone found them funny. That's so a let's, big assumption. Well, I know, but this is... This, I think we could watch this, but now we're... It's tangent. Yeah. Don't, we, can I tangent? Sure, sure. Sometimes I watch and I'm like... And I see this in my own specials, too. I'm like, they're laughing because they love them. Sure. Right. But, that's, but then it, it's just stripping away the laugh part of judging it and being like, what are they doing? I get it. Yeah, I, that's brilliant. So, I understand. So that's what I this realized I had to do because yeah. I, I have whatever biases I have. I don't like this type of person. Like, and it, it's in, and, and it's accounting for a variety of things. When I was just like, how how different are they than everyone else? How much are they articulating whatever their vision is? How much vision do they have? Right. And then the last list I did before I realized I couldn't do it. Like you must love Birbiglia and No Foolin. Yeah. I I don't know if you do. I do. I'm assuming you do, because what I admire about Berbiglia is it's not just about the jokes. It's what I loved about Three Mics. It's like, yeah. are you doing something? Yeah. And they do something. Yeah. And I, and having it's both having a vision and articulating. There's like, there are specials where people do big swings that don't work. And I, I go, thumbs up for big swing. I'm not going to put you in a list just for doing a big swing. Uh, but if you do big swings and articulate what you're trying to do, it, it you know... It that is sort of what I started judge on the last one I did. I it, essentially it was like, what is the value system I'm judging it on? Which is that, and it was the year Gerard Carmichael's eight came out, which I think I was like, this is whatever I, based on what I decided is what I think a good special is. This is the best eight eight. I didn't see it actually. It's really I feel bad. It's it's really good. Could you cut in uh, audio of me telling Gerard that I I watched it and I liked it and <laughs> loved it. I don't know if I said that. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> uh, but what is interesting about it and something I want to talk to you about as a comedian, because it seems to be pretty contentious, which is like, I had remember hearing that Gerard filmed it and bombed both shows. I heard something else. I had, or that, the, but the, there was mixed reviews. I love us. This is what I'm talking yeah. about. This is like that fun, like sewing circle kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> but they're, they're like, grumblings coming out that things weren't great or whatever. I heard the first show... I don't think this is bad gossip because it came out great. Yeah. First show sober, second show not sober. Oh, interesting. That's what I heard. I just, all I knew is that some audience didn't like parts of it and it was intentional to create. Well, that sounds like what Gerard does. Intentional yes. to create. To create un- discomfort. 
That's what Gerard does. And that's why I was like, he successfully created a filmed special. Yeah. This was not about the audience there, because who cares about the audience there? That's not the piece. The piece is the film thing. It's I a agree. filmed medium. Right. And that, that and like with Bo, who directed it, I was like, they've, they realized, and people I think are getting better at it, which is, there's two parts of which is sort of conceiving a special as a thing, regardless of if, it's a, if there's a theme that's outright or there's a story that's outright. What is the thing that you're doing? And it could be like, this is the last two years of my life, and that's the theme. Like, if you have good enough jokes, right. it can work. But, right. Or, and conceiving what it means to it be a visual medium. Right. Is the thing that, you know, that I started judging it on. But all of this is to say that, like, I stopped doing the list because I was like, now I'm too far along. I have the taste of a person who's seen 100 specials a year. Yeah. Who watches 100? No one does. No one. So you're then, like, out. so I'm too far. You're fl- like us. Yeah. We, yeah, we watch things very differently. I do want to clarify. I don't know if what I said about Gerard is true. Sure. I just, because I, mean, I, I don't want shots fired here. I just heard that like he was looser in the second show, whatever that means. If you watch the piece, it sort of doesn't flow like a normal special would. Any, like it starts in the middle of a sentence. Right. Kind of, and not in the way like, and not in the way like Roe Jr. had a special start in the middle of a sentence, like on purpose. Like right. he just sort of like, you can tell he was in the middle of a conversation or whatever he's talking about. And then right. he sort of started it there. Right. And I mean, that is, but I feel like what Gerard is doing, because I had Gerard on my Largo show recently, and I had been doing too much stand up, and I loved it. Yeah. It was like kombucha after burning down a Dutch <laughs> yeah. village for me. It, but it was what I needed. Yeah. Because I wanted what Gerard really understands, and I've talked to him about this at length, is that he understands that it's not about the material, it's about a frequency that's exchanged between yeah. the audience. And if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying he captured that on film. Yes, and that is a really, really hard thing to capture but on I film. But I think what you're doing is you're tasting the flavor profile of Pringles in a way that most people who eat Pringles aren't looking for it. No. And, and I, I'm, I'm not saying that as, like, so you're weird. I'm saying that's what we do. That's why I watched Gerard at Largo, and he told a joke I've seen him tell many times, and he deliberately slowed it down. Would you close the door because of the dog? Please, Katie. Please and thank you. My dog stresses me out, man. <laughs> He's been barking most of the day. And I understand it's not because he needs something. It's because he just loves Gavin. Yeah, yeah. He loves Gavin. That's what you would do if you were out in law and people just kept on walking. Yeah, by. his podcast is like 20 hours <laughs> yeah. long. And he interrupts constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think he listens. But anyway, <clears throat> because I had been doing so much stand-up, like you watching 100 mm-hmm. specials, I felt predisposed to loving Gerard. Yes. In a way, so I talked to somebody, and I would say this if Gerard was in the room, somebody was like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And I was like, I know, but I, I'm getting the exactly. chills. Yeah, yeah. I've always felt excluded my whole life when people are like, do you know the strokes? <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Finally, I found my thing where I'm like, I get a um an umami taste yes like gerard is is creating something that's a fifth flavor yeah it's like people who under who listen to jazz and a that's level right. that you're like yeah they're doing this it's like no it's the notes they're not playing or that's whatever. right it <laughs> is the notes he's not playing yeah that's exactly it yeah and you need to sort of know the scale you probably need to be an amateur pianist mm-hmm. to really appreciate an incredible jazz pianist and I think that's that's I, I'm an amateur comedian. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just but, saying, like you yeah. sort of need to really be into it. But the difference is, you have to then what jazz does not have to worry about, which is 
if someone's doing weird jazz, the audience doesn't conce- consume it necessarily differently. Where Gerard gets a, hypothetically this set where he was doing this, the audience might have laughed less than the person who was like, Watching fuck, it fuck, or like, fuck Gerard for not killing. Uh-huh. And that's the thing that like I always, of the sort of things that I rebel against or whatever, which is, you know, there are there's a part of comedy that's like the there's the there's the comedian's job and there's the comedian as a person with a job and there's the comedian as the artist artist yeah right and the job part has dominated the conversation forever sees and partly because comedy hadn't been taken seriously for like twenty years yeah like from the eighties through on it was just sort of like you're on the road and you have to do it and you have to five yeah. shows whatever <laughs> it's my job to bring it home baby yeah. like you land the plane yeah. land the plane yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, great, but my job is not to reward that on it. Like, that is not the end for what I. Right. There's try no to utilitarian do. category in criticism. Yeah. Like, this really delivered. Yeah. In just like, I mean, you're bringing me back to the beginning. The first 10 years of comedy is just how do I kill? Exactly. And then later you go, like, well, how do I. You literally, it's built into the system that you should get bored. Of just trying to home run derby. Yeah. And you want to play baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some people, like home run derbies are boring. I've actually been to one. Yeah. It's boring. Yeah, after the first like three, you're yeah. like. Yeah. Okay, home runs. Home runs. Yeah. But like if somebody can do a home run derby, like if somebody can hit a home run every time they're at bat in a baseball game, that's Berbiglia. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a fine compliment, wouldn't you say? I mean, like Berbiglia has in his act. And this sounds like a burn, but it's not. He has like a seventh inning stretch. Yeah. There's like a slow part. Yeah, and it, but it's interesting, but and then he goes back to hit home runs for the end. Yeah, and it, that and it's all deliberate. I mean, he is the thing that I I love about his work the most, and I've talked about, which is like he's he's a good joke writer. He's like a good storyteller. He's an incredible dramaturge of a piece. Yeah, like if in a different world he would just work at theaters helping comedians develop pieces yeah because and he does it for himself and he's great at i've told him this i'm not talking about his back but it it is remarkable his ability to create a piece that fits in a medium that it's hard to sometimes because you want to there's certain things that sort of work joke wise and there's time the audience has so much only has such attention and i think it's it's um you know i i i've through interviewing comedians, which I, you know, I, I don't call myself a critic because I do not assert whatever my taste is because I assume my taste is, you know, more self-referential than a lot of people might like. I just sort of like, I have the taste that I have, but I, I, I try to judge comedians on the terms that they are trying to do it on. And did they deliver what they yeah. were trying to deliver? And you can see you that, which it. is like, if you, you know, I, I wrote this very long article about Adam Sandler. It was like 21,000 words long. I reviewed all of his movies. And all of them, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Well, and the point of it was, it was a bit of a like exercise in, I guess, criticism, but also sort of like taste and cultural criticism. Which is, if you're judging this person by his own movies, how is that different than his career where he's judged against all other movies? Because, which oh, is a very different thing, because the people who review Adam Sandler movies are also reviewing Parasite, and they're like, well, this is worse than Parasite. It's like, yeah, but was it better than? Don't mess with the Zohan. I mean, like, that's right, part of it. Which right. is like interesting. Oh, wow. What a fun experiment. <laughs> so, and as a result. You're like a walking NPR. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's fun. Yeah, so I did it. And, like, I have a very different, like, I take him very seriously, partly because he had so much control over his work. That this Sandler. Is all, Sandler. So it's all on purpose, right? Give or take. So, yeah. So then I 
had different i had whatever my top 10 was and people like i disagree and i go you can't what was your number one click shut up yeah yeah really yeah, yeah. i haven't seen it but it's, i just assumed it would be punch drunk or no well that's part of it which is like well he didn't write punch drunk i think punch drunk is really good yeah. but that's based on a system we decided like what good movies are i did air quotes. you're right it looks like a good movie <laughs> yeah and but like that, you could play that with the sound off and i'd be like good movie yeah but that is but what i do like about the movie is paul thomas anderson who also loved adam sandler was like i want to make an adam sandler movie yeah. Like he took the parts of an Adam Sandler movie, ate it, and then this is what his version of it. You're right. Who told me something brilliant? Oh, I wish I could do it. I it, they were t- talking about a director. I think it was PT Anderson. Yeah. It was. Somebody was like when he makes Punch Drunk Love, and this is just hearsay. Yeah. I love PT Anderson. He's a sure. dream guest. So again, what why am I so sensitive today? Yeah. I'm just saying this isn't uh divisive. Yeah. Somebody told me when he makes a movie, like Punch Drunk Love, he's just trying to make a comedy. Like, he's not trying to make a yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson movie. He's just going like, this is like a wacky kind of... Fun. And it just comes out Paul Thomas Anderson. That, yeah, I or love- you can say the same thing about Wes Anderson. He's like not trying to be quirky or weird. He's just like, I'm just try- I'm trying to make my click. Yeah. And like when you eat, like you said, you eat it and you digest it, it comes out you. That's like... That, I love I, stuff I, like I'm that. Li- I'm interviewing David Wayne tomorrow, so it's like on my brain. But his entire career... Wayne brain? Well, I'm, I'm on the Wayne. I have the Wayne on the brain. But he was like, <laughs> "Thank you." They did Stella, and that was their attempt to try to do just like regular mainstream comedy, and Hilarious. it's like the craziest thing they did. And I yeah. do like when comedians are when you have taste that is established, and then it's very early on. People are like, "Yes, you get to. You don't have to change that." It's right. sort of hard to like see outside of that, and that's right. the difference between like me as a sort of critic or whatever I am on crit- comedy, which is. A comedian has to believe their taste is correct. That's right. Because they're doing it. It's like it's they have to know when the joke is. And done. that's what's that's Seinfeld's big point is like you don't need comedy criticism. The criticism already happened. Yeah. They With laughed. The yeah. It happened. And that's if our you, job is real time criticism. Yeah. And that's so it. someone else going like it wasn't yeah. good. Yeah. And it's like, but it was. Yeah, and I think it is good. If the audience is laughing, it is good at whatever the job is. It's, dep- it's utilitarian. Yeah. But that's why I love your zooming out. We're just yeah. going like, let's criti- criticize or let's look at something other than whether or not it worked. Because yeah. clearly it worked because there they were and they laughed. And or I, with Gerard, they didn't laugh, but I see what he was doing. Yeah, and that and we have to, if, like, I, I we either have to just consider comedy a lower art form that can't be taken seriously because how dare you i mean like it's literally like being like oh it shouldn't be taken seriously it's all about laughing it's like if you kill you're good if you don't kill you're bad or why not just tickle them yeah that's the thing it's like oh it's like whoever plays like if you have to every you have to make all audiences laugh why that is not i maybe you've heard me say this i'm touched that you've ever listened to this podcast but jim gaffigan said there's some crowds you don't want to kill for it and that sounds pejorative i believe maybe uh it sounds a little bit condescending um, but it's just the fucking truest thing anyone's ever told me in Germantown, Wisconsin. <laughs> and not to put down Germantown, Wisconsin, it was that crowd on yeah. a late Friday, and they were drunk, and it was papered, if you can believe it or not. Gavigan wasn't moving tickets. Yeah. And this is 15 years ago, uh, and we just both ate shit. And th- my hero looked at me and said, there's some crowds you don't want to kill for. And you know who killed? And I, I actually feel sort of dirty saying this. The, the middle killed. Yeah. The middle destroyed. Was he local? He was a local. He, I don't know if he was local, but he was a road guy. guy yeah, yeah. And he uh, had a very sharp sword, meaning he could go to the biker bar one night, and then he could go to the mm. 
but I don't think he could go to the comedy contest and win. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that. But I mean, this is very. I'm very interested. <laughs> like, who's right? I. I'm. I am the guy that's going like, let's elevate this yeah. because I am with you. One of the things we talked about off mic was um, is killing overrated. Yeah, and I happen to. I'm. I've said it a million on this podcast. I'm like, I think clocks should tell time, and I think comedians should get laughs. Yeah. I don't think you need to destroy the whole time. I have a line in my act right now that never works. I go like, everybody talks about how offended everybody was, but I grew up Christian. If you were Christian, you were way ahead of the curve on being <laughs> offended. Yeah. And either the Christians in the crowd, or, uh, I can feel, I think the sound they make yeah. is a Christian sound, are like, woo, yeah, represent yeah, yeah. us, or the hipsters or the intellectuals retreat retreat and i don't want either yeah yeah i'm just making a joke that being offended is sort of like not a new thing yeah yeah it's not great it's not bad it's not good it's just what it is yeah people are doing and i'm sort of calling out uh the culture is it the more things change the more they stay the same basically that's what i'm trying to do and no one knows what noise to make (laughs) and jesse i'm not cutting it yeah it stays and it actually sort of it's it's a gear shift in the act. It's this moment where I'm like, and like then we keep but you going. Like that, I like it. You like also that that it's like you can do a gear shift that is smooth, but you yeah. like that it is a awkward or awkward or uncomfortable gear. You because like the shifting in, feeling. In fact, the joke is about being offended, and I'm all for being sensitive. Clearly, listening yeah. to this podcast this morning, but I'm also sort of offering that the feeling of being offended is part of life. Yeah. And that it's one of the one of the sensations that we can play with yeah, yeah. as a comedy show is going in the lab and we're like touching the different impeti and being like, isn't this weird? What is a feeling? <laughs> it's so weird that we just go around and like, I have feelings. What the fuck are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. So let's manipulate them because the more we can manipulate them, the more it's manageable, the more we can like understand like, oh, I do this and you feel that. Mm-hmm. That's weird. What's behind that? So I want to I want to talk about that by pointing that out. So I'm giving them the feeling, yeah, of being offended to demonstrate it. But now I'm up my own ass a little bit. No, I mean like uh, I what what a it, I have two, a little <laughs> bit. Kidding, I'm just kidding. It, it makes me think of two things. One is that um, I have we're calling this the comedy issue. <laughs> And we're going to rank the top five comedy specials. I'm just kidding. Of all time. I don't have five specials. How could we do it? (laughs) (laughs) The most biased list. Um, I want to get back to click, by the way. But tell me what you're thinking. Oh, so I think I was going to say that... uh, What was I saying? Oh, Oh, it reminds me of the thing that I found most interesting about Nanette. And people talk about Nanette and I bring it up all the time. Just because it clearly... People had a reaction to, and that reaction alone makes it a useful useful thing to use in discourse about these things. Yeah, but I think you can argue a comedic job if they're trying to kill is seamlessness and a sort of elegance of transitions. Right, like in Kevin, and effortlessness. Yeah, yeah. I know you said seamlessness or grace. But when I see Chappelle at yeah. Radio City, and I've told the story a million, but I was one of the openers and I felt how incredibly intense it is to be in front of that many people. And he went up and looked like he could take a nap. Yeah. And he, Neil Brennan, he just did the podcast. He's telling me a story at radio city. He's talking to Chappelle side stage. And then he just walked out. Yeah. It's like, excuse me. Like he just goes, yeah, I mean, I don't get mustard on my cheeseburger. Oh, hold on. And then he did an hour and a half of comedy and it, and it flows. Like one of my criteria is like, is this flowing? Yeah. Like Eddie Murphy's material in Delirious 
I'm saying even in the 80s, I was like, because I went to a Quaker school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't say those words. You don't, you don't talk about those groups. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't like on board, especially I was religious. So a lot of it was like, yeah. but I was like, what the fuck is happening? It was like watching Tinkerbell. Yeah. Like it was like a magic Yes, he is the example. Thing. He like, there. You know what I mean by Tinkerbell? I, yes, no. He, I don't I, mean, he's like a I mag- feel like Eddie Murphy. Pete Holmes calls Eddie Murphy Tinkerbell is like well, wrong. Exactly I mean, how I think of him not using the word Tinkerbell, but that magic. Because I think of you know the people like you're you're born with it, right? People say you're either you're born funny or not, and I yes. don't believe that. But I, what I do believe is you're below you're born in a way that you are funny. Yep. And it is very possible that at a time there'll be an audience that will agree with you. Yeah. And so it's it's not just right person, it's right person with right audience. Totally. And Eddie Murphy is the pinnacle of right person, right, right audience, audience. Which was like the world collided for exactly what he was offering. That's right. And, and that's why it's magical. He was a way he was a guy who could get out of his own way. There's some people that I get the feeling Pablo Francisco just is funny. Yeah. Like he and Melania and I talk about this all the time. We love Pablo Francisco. And Pablo, if you hear this, I'd love to have you on it. I think he's so, so funny. And then there are guys like us, uh, again, Neil Brennan and I talked about this, that sort of lean into our ham side. And then there are guys where you're just like, I think if I woke you up at 4 a.m., you could tell if you woke me up at 4 a.m., and maybe you would, and maybe sometimes I would. I'd get up and just like kind of start being funny because what a weird life bit Mm -hmm. that Pete woke up funny. And then there's some guys that I think, like Al Pacino eating a bowl of noodles, you just want to watch it. Yeah. And some people eat a bowl of noodles, and you don't like Zach Galifianakis is a great example too. You talk to the guy, about, you could talk about the most horrific thing in the news, and you're trying not to laugh. Yeah, I know that sounds like I'm a schmuck. I'm just saying there's a way. Yeah. It's the same thing with Will Ferrell. There's an intensity in the yeah. eyes that's betrayed by the lower part of the face. That's just sort of like, and that's a violation. It's like serious eyes, goofy sort but, of rest and of the face. Thing that is like, <laughs> but it's I. Think about like yes, Will Ferrell does the same thing to me. He does it to clearly millions of people in a general age group, and then for some reason it slows down. What like there's fewer people that find him funny. Like I imagine there's 16 year olds now. He's like he's old. Like I know what you're saying, and I don't know so how that's the right audience. Right, that's time. right. Yeah. It's just sort of that's why it's so hard for people, especially in comedy, to maintain large careers where. They stay re- stay relevant. Well, dude, this is why I saw Pete Davidson's movie, Judd's movie, yeah. and I was like, I don't know how. Qu- obviously, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I think it's going to come out brilliantly. People should see it. And I said to Judd, I was like, I don't know how valid my notes are mm-hmm. because Pete, even though I think Pete is hilarious, when I saw him do stand up, you can listen to him yeah. on this podcast. He's like nineteen or something, and I was just like. You're fucking incredible. Yeah, yeah. So he booked the podcast just because I saw him do stand up at the improv. Yeah. That's how fucking great I think he is. And I'm going to say, I don't think he's for me. Yeah. I'm a 40 year old guy. He's over there talking about Wiz Khalifa. I'm still talking about Paul Abdul Forever Your Girl. Like, I'm just like, I'm not meaning I'm Farrell. I'm Sandler. Yeah. And then here comes Pete. So right time, right comedian. Yeah. Pete is the guy that goes like, I got this fucking phone in my pocket giving me terrible news every 35 seconds and I don't understand, none of us do, how yeah. the world works. Everything's just sort of been handled like post, he's a post-truth comedian. Yeah. Will Ferrell is not a post-truth comedian. Will Ferrell, Sandler are like, there's true things and there's not true things and I'm going to sing a song about a red hooded sweatshirt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And Farley was like, 
Of course, the president is stable. Yeah. That's how I can be in Madison, Wisconsin, yeah. ripping this bong. And I'm going to eat some pizza and tip this cow. He was like Americana. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Farley now, I'm sure Farley would fucking kill it. There's certain people that might exclude this rule. I don't know. Yeah. But like, you're absolutely right. Pete Davidson is now murphy yeah. was then there's people Will. that i see i i try to get it i try very hard and there's people that i just that are coming up that people are like this is it this is the funniest person on earth yeah and i could i, I oh julio torres his yeah. special uh shapes uh, my favorite shape my favorite shapes i watched it and i was like I think Julio is hilarious. Yeah. I love Julio. I watched the special and I got the distinct feeling that he was making it to literally exclude me. You know what I'm saying? And I would say this to his face. I think he would be happy. I yeah. think to your I, criteria, he's like, yes, I had a vision that was not to exactly, delight yeah, yeah. a 40-year-old straight white male comedian sitting at home with his golden fucking retriever <laughs> and his baby and his dumb wife and his stupid house. And and like remembering newspapers, yeah, and going like yeah, like I I watched it, I laughed. I'm not saying yeah. I didn't laugh, but I went. He's not trying to make this for me. He he truly is. That is he. It, I mean, it is like a not at all. This is for everyone special. This and by like, the way, I want to be clear. I don't think it's like a gay because no, he's gay. I'm no. not like oh, if I was gay, I would. I'm saying he's a. It's his time. Yes, it's who. It's his age more than anything Isn't else. It that incredible I that comedy has room for th- that. That's right. <laughs> that a person but sitting so many down people and watched it and were like, "Why the fuck isn't he swinging for the fences?" Yeah, you got an HBO special and you don't fucking kill because you watch that special. I wouldn't use the word destroy. No. I wouldn't say he maims. I'm saying he's doing what Eugene Merman did too, which was like, hello, isn't this fucking weird? <laughs> yeah. That life is a long hallway, and sometimes you open a door and it's Will Ferrell playing with cat toys, and you're like, my mom would like this yeah, too. Yeah. And sometimes you open a door and it's Julio Torres literally just going, buenos dias. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but that's good. Yeah, it's it's... I think he has a tone he wanted to create. He cre- he successfully articulated that in, in in many ways as possible, and audience responded to whoever it was, and he got the type of reaction. Like he got this, what he was going for. Yes, like if he was trying to do that and go, if he's, why am I not crushing? He's this? sweating and he's going triangle didn't work tonight. Like that is not what that's not the game he was playing exactly. But then people like you with your Sandler list. People were judging him as part of a pantheon of killers, yes. of people that are like, you always open with something about drinking. Who's drinking? And you always close with something about fucking. Who's fucking? Yeah. And then, and like, he's going like, no, for me, this would be better. Well, also, like, he's not in a comedy club. So right. he doesn't have to open strong. People are there to see him. He doesn't have to close strong. No one's dropping the check. Right. He's like, I created the show. I saw him do it in Montreal when he didn't have is him, but it's it much more DIY, and he had like a little iPhone camera. But like, that's he's like a guy. Both his parents are designers. He grew up. His his entire family is. He's a being authentic. Yeah, and he's able to articulate that, and which is great. And he's and clearly very funny and successfully at being funny. Writes right. for like SNL, but. It, it, oh, he's a great actor too. He auditioned for Crashing, and I was like, I thought he was fantastic. He's a, spe- he's a special thing, but it's it's like, I look, I like laughing a lot. My favorite comedians make me laugh. I like, even though I've been sort of in this for a long time, I still laugh when I see things. Even like, and it not it doesn't have to be like revolutionary things. It could be just someone who I think is really funny right. in terms of observations or physical or whatever. Um, 
but I'm like the best stand up I will cry at. Not because it's sad, just because I'm like the magnitude of the achievement that you're doing. Mm. Like I think of my favorite moments from specials in the last year. Like Mike Bigler has a moment that's last special where I do cry and it isn't a more emotional moment. But like Ray Wood Jr. has parts of his last special where I cry just because of how good it is. Wow. How good it is at stand up. Wow. How the human existence created this person. Yeah, that could do who it. Who just can do it. He's, he just became a saxophone. Yeah. And played a beautiful, yeah. beautiful song. You're like, I saw a man become a saxophone. And that, so, the, and like, I'm not demanding everyone cry. I cry more easily at things than other yeah. people. But I'm just saying, this is a, a form that is like, generally defining it is involves laugh. We, well, it defines comedy, doesn't it? Like, there's very good comedies where people are just sort of like making smiling noises or whatever they do at home. Right. And we call that comedy. I mean, like... I guess what's tricky about Julio and what would have been helpful to a lot of the dum-dums, yeah. I'm going to say with that with love, is if you called it like a comedy event or a, a, a performance piece. But then it would be less... I, I don't jarring, think they right? should. The yeah, goal of it right, is to be right. like... I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm going to sit down the entire time, and there's going to be a machine. You're that right. Can... You're right. That is one of the violations that makes it a exactly. Joke. Yeah. Yeah. You're going like, no, welcome to like like in the '80s, an HBO comedy special, but it's not Chandling in a sport coat. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. In silver onesie. And and, and that is the same thing as. Stella wearing a suit when no one was wearing a suit and you're like oh this is a violation because everyone has been like this slub or whatever and then they're going to be so stupid while wearing a suit right but it like he's intentional in that he's very aware that he's being contrary to whatever stand-up is as the younger generation does constantly right like when you were you and your cohort were in your 20s you were like i we're not going to be what comedians were like when we Whatever that was. It's like children. It really is like kids. Yeah. It's like your kids aren't going to want to be like their parents. Like as as revolutionary as you thought you were, as rebellious as you were, that becomes like what comedy comedy becomes. Yeah, right. right? So it's like you see, it's it's why the sort of use of the term alternative comedy as broadly as it often uses so is so funny because so often the people who are alternative are just sort of young and they didn't get into clubs yet. That's right. So it's like I was looking at a lineup of. Um, old Stella shows when they were doing the alternative rooms, and it was like Jim Norton was on the list, and you're like, is that Luna Lounge? Or yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, so that alternative comedian Jim Norton, which is nothing against Jim. It's just yeah. sort of like he's. We think of him as like clubs. We think, yeah, of, like, he's comedy seller or whatever. And it's like you guys were alternative, and now you guys, most, a lot of you guys play clubs, which yeah. is nothing. But against. the clubs have changed completely, yeah, of course, because. But that's comedy changes completely. I wanted, constantly. I wanted, I wonder what you'll think about this. I wanted crashing when I pitched it to take place in uh, like 2010. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be so funny to just be like kind of a long, t- not a kind of a little bit ago. Yeah. Where like, I'm like, you won't really know, but the phones will be old. Like you've seen it. Some yeah. shows do this. I'm trying to think of what I feel like Fleabag or something. They have old phones. I I, I can't yeah. remember. But I was watching a show and I was like, oh, they're doing the 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 near mm-hmm. past, and the reason for that. And I'm I don't think we ended up making a different show than the show. You you the show always evolves. Yeah. But the original conceit was when I was starting comedy. What you're saying is the feel that I was interested in trying to communicate, which we ended up doing, but in a different way. Yeah. But now I go to the seller. I've said this a million times with this example. It's Chris Gethard. They're, I'm at the cellar, and they're like, all right, it's Josh Gondelman, uh, yeah. and then Chris Gethard, and then you. And I'm like, it used to be 
Patrice, yeah, and then fucking Todd Lynn <laughs> and Norton and Attell, and then you. And guess what? It wasn't Gary Goldman was the only one mm-hmm. that I can think of that when I went to a comedy show uh, was doing anything close to what I thought I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about shows where I saw great comics. I'm just saying the clean or the weird or the subtle or the or the for lack of a better term, the friendly. Yeah. There's like, like Gary, like a friendly comedian, like Mulaney is a friendly comedian, yeah. was an oddity. And now you can go and see a show, and the oddity is the guy that's like, what's up, fuckers? Yeah. And you actually kind of love the what's up, fuckers guy yeah. in the same way you love the friendly guy because it's mixing it up. But yeah. the, the the mixture used to be, the recipe used to be opposite. Yeah. Nine Non, let's say unfriendly guys. I don't. That's not quite right. And then one guy like Gary that would be well, like, it, what it, "Have and, you noticed Tic Tacs? <laughs> which ones are Tics and which ones are Tacs? It's the same shape." But what is interesting? I like. I, I don't go to the comedy cellar often, but when I do, it's you, you'll see a certain mixture. But then you drink Joseph Keys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they um, they what was I going to say? Oh, so there'll be Sorry, comedians are that are. Of what the what we think of as a comedy seller ten years ago or fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, whenever I I went I went when I was still in high school, I used a fake ID to go and I was like, those guys who were the guys, they are now there's fewer of them. And then there's moments that happen. They say a joke that is on whatever side of the line that the audience is like wrong side, where his his filter of like what is the line that he's yeah. honed is different fi- is different. And there's this moment where he has a decision to make. Where he's go like I could learn from this, or I could say, or I could you. say you guys are wrong. Yeah, and, and they, that they, is the decision. And like I'm different comedians do different things. A lot of them say you guys are wrong, and I'm I like then you, and then you are saying I'm going to be a comedian for old people now. Which, by the way, is what religion does as well. I'm not trying to force this. That's no, fine. The the guys that I love, like Richard Rohr continue to grow their entire lives. They stay in conversation with the younger thinkers and they continue to evolve watching the flow and the change and the shape mm-hmm. of theology as it's being understood today. And the fundamentalists are the ones that are like, nope, being gay is wrong. And like, I see that in comedy where they're like, I don't understand what happened with the crowd. That it, it used to be this. It's that great Bill Burr joke where he's like, the Duck Dynasty guys are racist. And he's like, they're just doing, he doesn't phrase it exactly yeah. this way. They're just doing what they were trained to do to get love. Yeah. So he's like, of course I said that horrible word. I was trying to be a good boy. And whatever it is, and I, I yeah, okay, it, it just is what it is. I think if you stop growing and stop listening and evolving, that's a problem. Yeah, I you mean, can stay fucking offensive and crazy, but like, like figure out how to do it in a in a new way. Well, I think it's one if you're being offensive. That means well, you know, you can get a you know that's the reaction this audience has. So you have an opportunity to be like, oh, how can I use that power right. that I have? These people that are further on the other side of the line than I want them to be, and that's Bill Burr. Yes, and that's exactly what Bill, Bill Burr goes. Bill, I'm going to fill up a tank yes. with you getting mad at me. And then I'm going to hook up a flamethrower to that tank and scorch you. But and everyone goes, I didn't even agree with his point. And there's tears on my face. And it's not, I mean, certainly not always, but I mean, many, many times. But like his last hour, which I think is really, really great. And But what he succeeded doing, I think there's parts of the beginning. I, I agree. He, the beginning was odd. It, was just sort of, it felt like he was signaling to the type of audience that loves that stuff. 
which is I'm, I'm not going to pull punches. Yes, yes, which I understand the move, but yes, because there are those people. But it's he's all the worst stuff is at the beginning, and then the end was sort of I would say lovely. But it what I think a lot of comedians do is they're like I'm an angry guy, and then you and then they say take my word for it, and then you just do comedy where you just based off that premise. Where Bill was like, I'm going to be angry for 20 minutes yeah. to show you how angry I am. It's not a joke. This is how, what I think. It's instead of doing the easy way out, which is saying, oh, I having a bad opinion and then saying this is a bad opinion. It's like he just leaves it there. And then the, the back half is being like, I got to get better. And that works right. Right. because he, he, you believe it. And what's funny is I called Bill and I said, great job on the special. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you sort of did something lovely, which is you sort of showed that yeah. comedy can be offensive and still uh, mm-hmm. beautiful, or, or or toy with the line. Yeah, a lot of people would say the whole point of comedy is to sort of like play with the line. And he was like, "No, I didn't. You're just projecting that onto me, you stupid fuck!" Like he he like yelled at me. I can't believe. And it. I was like, the funny thing about Bill, and I would say this if he was in the room, is he's growing. And he doesn't know it. You, you, <laughs> I, I, or, or he's not trying to grow. I, he just is growing. And I don't care if you're a guy that goes, I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm working. Yeah. Or if you're Bill and goes, I've stayed the same. And I'm like, you have, the growth has just been so subtle yeah. and so natural that I don't think he ever sat down and went, I'm going to change for the audience. He just is in the world and yeah. he has a heart and he has a That's head. And it happened naturally you ask a tree like hey great leaves it's like what the fuck are you talking about dot, 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 dot. i've just been standing here in the shit in the fucking sun and the rain and like you know he didn't do it on purpose he didn't do it yeah for marketing reasons he's just a citizen of the world and because like most comedians he's an exposed nerve the impeti are getting in yeah. And they're affecting his subconscious, and it affects his con- it affects his conscious. Well, he's also listening, and the audience doesn't right. know what they're no they they're not. He doesn't know they no one is the audience especially does not do it on purpose because they're an audience, right? So the audience is laughing or not laughing. That's right. So you're getting very pure yeah. feedback. And Bill is being ex- like all of us. Let's take Bill out of it. I don't want him to yell at me. I'm saying we're all. <laughs> I definitely don't want him to yell at me. Get, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we're all getting so much feedback mm-hmm. that even if I dare you to try not to change, you have to be a pretty hard dinosaur dum dum to really just go like I'm not even listening. Like you're getting it. You're getting the feedback. Well, that or I, you know, I think about audiences a lot, and Bill, I think, has done an incredible job considering who's his audience which is not nothing against his audience so I, I, I any comedian who has such a large audience it, is, it becomes a problem because they are on board too easily or they on board they don't you ha- can't control what part of them part of you they're on board that's for that's true well and, that's why he probably does the small rooms in the club yeah, and the yeah and he just but i think it becomes really hard when your fans are just you are what comedy is to them, right? So if what if you know there's this idea of like, well, if you say something and the audience laughs, that that means the audience is saying it's correct or whatever. But the problem is, what if the audience is using you to judge what is correct because you are a legend to them, right? Especially if you've been around for a while, you were there when they decided what funny was, 
And then instead, you become like a, po- a political figure. To yeah. Them. Yeah. So there's certain there's not tons of comedians, which is essentially you see it a lot more in music, which is uh, like it's called like what we would call stand culture. You see a lot where my favorite artists are saying an Eminem. Yeah, we can't do anything wrong because they're my favorite artists, right? Right. And I, what I think of as good is their art. So if they're doing it, it's good. It's good, right? And that becomes the problem when you're at that level, and there's only certain comedians that do it. That, of course, you're going to kill because you're doing it, and you right. could be a genius, but that means your your audience is so soured that you can't tell the difference, and you can't tell the difference between the audience in the context of the room you're in and the audience watching it later. And that is like there's, um, I mean, like. I went to I rev- one of the last things I reviewed was a Chappelle show that I didn't a uh, live show at Radio City that I didn't like, mm. and two comedians, um, p- sort of privately I had arguments with, and they're like it, and the one of them was like it's so hard to see an aud- a comedian do a good job and then read someone say they did a bad job, mm. and that's that Seinfeld thing. Yeah, yeah. And we don't need the review. <laughs> but it's like but you weren't laughing i wasn't laughing I, and well, I, more than that you were actually actively not enjoying which by the way those radio city shows i mean he was doing so much new stuff yeah. they, each one had to be so different i could believe that there would be one yeah that and and I, and I was a bit offended to charge people that much money to work on stuff yeah like i think it's like because i think a lot of comedians are like well he's still working on it. you can't review it. it's like yeah maybe if you're doing a club i'm not gonna review it i i have certain i mean but if you're in new york city charging people hundreds and fifty dollars two hundred dollars to see you yeah you are saying this is worthy of the money that you're charging i mean the broadway shows were so much money yeah that it's fair to criticize it if you feel like it's not exactly worth exactly the amount of money it's it's like hey he gave you a 75 dollar show and you paid 250 dollars for it right right like can we not say that like every comedian is willing to be like this joke is not done so if i say hey that joke that's not done is not good Right. Then what, like, that's the thing, which is, especially for things that are trying to be edgy, you're trying to figure out where these lines are. Right. And to figure out where the lines are, it's partly, like, you're using the audience's help. I feel like it, it is uh, a unique to Chappelle thing, where, like, he was open micing yeah. Radio City. Yeah. Which is why the phones go away and why everything. So it He's the most extreme case of it, yeah. I know. Yeah, that's what makes it. It's just a stratosphere that we neither yeah. of us can really relate to. Yeah. So he was workshopping at Radio City. If we take Radio City at its word, we go, well, it's Radio City, so therefore it's a show. If we take Chappelle's word, he's saying, fuck y'all. Yeah. I'm doing what I do. That being said, I, I know what you're talking about. I, I've, you know, had bits of Chappelle's where I'm just like it's like it goes back to Colbert yeah there's moments where Colbert is doing an interview and I'm literally yell. it's usually at the computer watching it the next day I'm yelling at the screen get him go Stephen mm. I know you're a genius yeah I know I I'm lucky enough I had dinner with Stephen talked to the real Stephen fucking blow your blow your dick off yeah. it's like an unbelievable charming effortless learned intellectual clown the, i so met him once he's the most earnest person i've ever met he's unbelievably <laughs> earnest I he's my <laughs> he's my medical contact yeah <laughs> emergency contact i just go find stephen colbert yeah um and then number two is val yeah um that's a joke of course it's not great well, of please, course he doesn't even don't. live in la I be know, completely useless. Be very stupid <laughs> just tweet at him yeah pete's in the hospital <laughs> he needs you um that being said so sometimes stephen doesn't uh he chooses 
to not operate at the height of his intelligence. Yeah. He, that's his prerogative. He's doing that show every day. Similarly, sometimes I feel like I see Chappelle omitting the totality of his of his intelligence yeah. for a laugh. And the example that I have used before is when he's saying like you, he had the trans joke like you can't have um, a man join the WNBA. I was like, that's literally like I know you're a genius. Yeah, I know you understand marginalized people. I know. If I have dinner with you, but what, but okay. So I have a joke. This is going to sound so stupid. I have a joke where I make fun of the saxophone for like 10 minutes. And then at the end, this part never works, but I like it. I go, of course I love the saxophone. I'm just withholding the totality of my opinion to delight you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what comedy is. Yeah. So that's what Chappelle's doing. He could do the full mosaic of, I understand what it feels like to feel like you're not your body. I get that. But instead, he just sort of got on the yeah. the, the, the the easiest bus and was like, are we going to have uh, women that used to be men playing sport? And I'm just like, that's what my dad would say in a barber <laughs> shop, and that is not a compliment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm with you. And, you know, that that I think Dave would say, then that maybe is part of the experience. Like my yeah. being offended is part of the, that's what I, I can't say what they would say that's what i'm saying yeah. is the 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 special then becomes what am i going to do with this offense i'm going to talk about it with you jesse i'm going to talk about it with other guests i'm going to talk about it with val i'm going to talk about it with trans people i, I just want to see and it sort of instigates and stirs the pot and maybe he's just being a rascal that's running through and and peeing on the on the wedding i think I that's fair in so much that i said not on this podcast not too long ago that like why is this killing one? yeah why is killing and the amount of laughter the only thing we're judging things oh, on? Yeah. And it's clear that, like, where I, it's, well, it's possible that Dave Chappelle, at the level that he's at, is, I think a lot of comedians get this point, was like, it's, I can kill easily. I'm one of the greatest comedians ever, and you guys love me already. Yeah. So how do I make this harder or yeah. more interesting for Yeah, me? that's right. So, and there's many ways to do that, right? There's, you can make it more interesting like Gary Goldman's last special where you're like, I'm going to talk about a thing that I haven't use the skill set that I have to do it. And it's going to be more interesting because I have this ability to kill because of my pure ability as a joke writer. Or you can talk about subjects that are harder to talk about and you'd be like, I can pull it off or you can lose audiences for fun. You know, like it's That's all, right. it's all just sort of like, what are we doing to make this more interesting for me and hypothetically you or or there's the people like I don't care if it's more interesting I like killing. Right, I know. I and that really that brings up a topic that we talk about when we talk about comedy on the show is like who owns it. Yeah. Like is it the audience and we call it the George Lucas thing. Does the audience own Star Wars? Mm-hmm. Does George Lucas own Star Wars? And George Lucas is like fuck you, I own Star Wars and I'm going to put like a CGI lizard in the scene from your childhood and we're like we don't like that and he's like i don't care yeah and that sort of feels like Chappelle telling like a pretty close-minded trans joke because he's just like the cgi lizard bitch and i'm like but (laughs) so you got it you got it both ways you could also say that he's doing it to just show that he's that he's not uh gonna be censored yes you know what i mean that's like yeah, it's not just the joke. It's like, what is he doing, and why is he doing it, and when is he doing it? Do you, do you know? 
I'm I, not even defending it. No, I'm just know, trying I to know. have compassion and, I, and, and understand. He, he, he becomes a lightning rod of these things, and I, it's almost, I wish there were other examples. The problem is we only allow so many comedians to be great comedians at one time. Right. So then we just all have to talk about the same five comedians. There's over only over. five faces <laughs> on Mount Rushmore, baby. There's only four. But I will ask this question, which I had a question. Would you have an audience as what? a comedian <laughs> to talk know. about your literal experience, oh, which yeah. is like, you know, the... There's the, I mean, I've I've seen you throughout all the arc of it, but I saw you when maybe 11 years ago is the first time I saw you, and you're just like a comedian. Yeah. I think, I, I was like, oh, I think he's from Chicago or whatever, but I was like. Yeah. That was then, my credit. Yeah. It's like, he's from Chicago. And we're like, yeah. oh, like the other guy. Yeah. But, um, and then the podcast allowed people to understand the context of you so much more. Right. Have you. I like this. Have you started to, as that keeps on going, that the people at your live shows know so much about you? As yeah. I've, I remember thinking, I know great. more about Pete Holmes than literally anyone I know. Yeah. How? So do I. It's exhausting. So it's like, how do you take their, how do you judge their laughter mm. as you try to think of this appealing to other people or not appealing to it? You go like, you guys laughed on that because it's me. Like you said the same thing about. Yeah. I can't remember. Like some people are just laughing because it's them. It's like, how do you, in a practical sense, how do you deal with the fact that like, oh, this is all because partly like, you know, there's so much context that these people have. Yeah, that's right. I was watching a clip from Delaney's special, Jackie, which yeah. I'm excited to see. And I was watching it and this is not uh, negative, yeah. but I was like, oh, these guys really love this motherfucker. <laughs> and, and I was like, that, the only no- reason I know that sound is because I get that sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I uh, keep me honest because I'd like to answer your question. But yeah. the first thing that came to mind was the the thing that I want to do more than anything is to have it feel like a sleepover, mm-hmm. and we're we're putting our sleeping bags over our heads, and we're and we're wrestling, and we're just having a f- silly, funny. That's what I used to do when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, would wrestle with our bags over our heads. That sounds weird, but what I'm saying is, I I want it to be like you know me. And because you know me and you mm-hmm. came, I think I know a little bit about you. And let's let's yeah. do this. So I'm now doing. I, I jokingly call it the humility tour, meaning I'm going to clubs and uh, they don't have my rider, and um, <laughs> they often don't know who I am when yeah. I'm coming in. And uh, I can tell that a good port. Like I'm going to say, um, maybe Saturday early show, depending on the club. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about when I go to Brea, which yeah. was awesome. Um, a lot of people in Brea don't know who I am because if you really were a super diehard fan, you'd drive 45 minutes and yeah. see me in LA. So I'm going to Brea and me and Laura Bites are there and I'm getting a strong sense that on average, 60% of the crowd doesn't know who I am. And then I'm doing in my act, Mike knows this, I do a Mike Birbiglia impression. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the weekend, I said to Laura, cause I had this joke about um, what to do if a baby's choking after my Mike Birbiglia impression. And that joke really started not working. And I was like, it's because the Birbiglia impression doesn't work. And then they, so it's this bad gear yeah. shift. The people that like it, love it and clap. And then I'm saying 70% mm-hmm. probably don't know. Mike, I would say it if he was here. They don't know who the fuck I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just interrupting an otherwise very strong set <laughs> with a Mike Birbiglia impression. Yeah, yeah. That 15 people love. And then I start doing a dark joke about choking. Yeah. And they don't like me or I've lost them. And then I'm like, well, I have to consider 
because I'm just trying to deliver and I'd like to have a very strong hour. Yeah. Um, and then when you tape the special, it's going to be a thousand fans. You bring that Birbiglia. I'm not even saying I'm going to cut the Bir- yeah. Birbiglia impression, but you do it for fans, even at Largo, and it just crushes. Yeah. It's like the best part. Everybody tweets about it at Mike and me, and it's so fun. Yeah, I've seen some of the tweets. That's right. Yeah. So it's like clearly like a highlight of the show. But then I go to the crowds, the regular crowds, the keep you honest crowds, and you're like, well, it's not really a hot part well which is the more true expression yeah, exactly. of what i'm going for it's with the fans yeah that's what i'm trying and you to want do. to capture and that's what you want to capture and i want if someone's watching it at home going like i don't quite understand this well come join us exactly you're just you're coming a little bit late to a party but you're still invited but like i'm gonna need you to you, bring yourself up to us because i don't want to just stoop down to you even though the club next weekend you know, we're in Oxnard this week. I'll, I might drop the Birbiglia thing just to not interrupt the flow. Yeah. But then I have all these bits that when I'm doing it for the special, you do them because they're the true expression of who you are and when you're in the safe place. So the, the podcast gave me a cushion mm-hmm. to be Pete. So one of the new flavors that I have as a comedian, once you have an audience, is, oh, it's delightful that he's just being who we know him to be. Yeah. Whereas a crowd that doesn't know you and this happened to me last night. I was at Largo last night. It wasn't my crowd. And I could tell I was doing some of the bits, and they, and it, they just didn't give a fuck because yeah. they didn't know when am I going against what you expect and when am I going with what you expect because they didn't expect anything. Yeah. And it's not as fun. And you're not like, for this joke to be good, they need to get it. You're like, I'm doing this set for them. I You'll use this criteria, but you're not like... if it. Every joke needs to be bulletproof from all directions. You you don't have That's to. right. I but with crowds that don't know who I am, I have to continually remind them who I am yeah. in my personality yes. to make it work. So the joke about the saxophone, if I'm doing it for my fans, I don't have to tell them this is my favorite kind of joke. Yeah. I'm a silly boy. I know this is stupid. They just go like, "Look, Pete's having fun." Yeah, But with a regular crowd, if you just start going like, I can't believe people play the saxophone, they're like, okay, go on. <laughs> and they think maybe I'm going to persuade them that the saxophone actually is stupid when really the joke is what I'm joking about. Yeah. That's the first level of the joke is that that is the topic that, that I'm that choosing. Is, it's like you'd have to be like, let's stop for a second. So for some people, what is funny is that you're saying a not funny thing. As That's, if right. It's funny. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Like, tell this audience. I have to say, it's not what I'm saying. It's how worked up I'm getting. I have another joke. It's exhausting. I almost never do it. It's about how I want a 90s desk. I don't want a sleek, white, open space desk with an iMac mm-hmm. on it. I want a 90s desk with a landline phone and pencils with the extra eraser because you wore down the eraser mm-hmm. and tape with sand in the base. And I just talk about a 90s desk. I can't tell you how many fans have come up and been like, please do 90s desk. And I'm like, I tell them the truth. I'm like, I can't do it. Because what you're loving would only work if there's 400 more of yeah. you. Because otherwise, it's going to be me and you, and I'm a crazy guy yelling about a 90s desk. But I mean, I'm thrilled. Uh, John Hamm texted me, 90s desk. He saw me at Largo, and he texted me, 90s desk. So people who know, yeah, no. love 90s desk. What does this mean? I'm not going to do 90s desk in Oxnard. That's not to put down Oxnard. But I'm guessing it's going to be another 70 percenter. Yeah. So the 30% might enjoy 90s desk. That's generous. Maybe 15 of the 30. But that's too many people not liking 90s desk. But then you do the special taping. You do the first set, first taping, probably just what you're going to do. Second show taping, you're going to do 90s desk. And guess what? 
I'm going to be so excited to yeah. be in front of a thousand friends. That sounds false. I mean, friends, comedy friends, audience friends, mm-hmm. a friendly audience. 90s Desk is going to kill, and we'll probably put it on the special. Do you have you gotten to the point now? I'm interviewing you. 90s like, Desk, your dream has come true. Yeah, I, I truly have just because this is the thing that I've been. But this thinking. is the comedy issue. Yeah, <laughs> I've been thinking. This is I will to talk about me. To, yeah, this no, next question or this conversation about audiences is. is been a thing that i've been thinking about constantly for like throughout all my coverage of comedy when i think about this comedy boom i think about it as a boom of audiences a boom of people grew up wanting to watch comedy and caring about it etc as i think about if i'd write a book the idea of audiences would be a chapter in said book so the question is are do you have a sense of there's members of the your audience who that are your people that are coming to see pete holmes that do not get it they are the people that when you started out you're like, well, I'm not gonna have fans like this person. Whatever. Oh, do I have fans that might not be that you, like that silly? Yeah, but they're going anyway. Yeah, and they're getting it wrong. It's tricky because, and what a privilege. There's like people who know me as a uh, Batman yeah. from YouTube. They might not be as quick to get 90s desk. The, we, that's why I'm always pro- promoting my shows here. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the podcast, you're gonna love the standup. Yeah. You're going to get it, and you're going to love it, and there won't be any part that you go, what? You'll probably have heard some of the kernels of the things yeah, that yeah. became the bits. But if you just love crashing, sometimes – so when I'm brought up on stage, and I'm going to bring this back to you because this is too much me. <laughs> but I had the, the host say, you might know him from his podcast, You Made It Weird, or HBO's Crashing. And I'm listening backstage. Did they cheer for the podcast? Mm-hmm. And Did they cheer for crashing? And if they cheered for crashing, it's most likely – People who just go, I saw that thing on a th- on a bus, yeah, and and they just go, well, if he has a show, they might not have even seen it. They yeah, just yeah. go, look, if he has a show, I'll, he's probably okay, and that's okay. <laughs> but I don't think they're nineties esque, yeah, yeah, and that's all right. It's good to have jokes that you're like this is to know those parts. We're like, this is me. This is a part of me that not all the people who see me get. Yeah, that's right. Which is like anything. Which is like you. You're in the business of conveying yourself to a person and certain people can only go along with but somebody. that's my gerard carmichael game meaning yeah. a thrill for me is not killing this goes back to your yeah. thing about killing is overrated killing is okay but val has watched me she's less confused now but as we've we're dating and now that we're married she'll watch me uh and i'll destroy and i'll get off and i'll be like fuck these people like i'll really and I don't mean that. Yeah. I, I'm just kind of like, I didn't enjoy it, yeah, is yeah. what you're saying when you say fuck these people. I didn't enjoy that. What I'm going for is um, acceptance, yes. which is a high. That's how I make stand-up after 20 years still interesting, is can I get these people to really understand me and accept me? And that's the game that I'm playing. If I'm just hitting a tennis ball against a wall and I go, set up and here's the punch and you laughed, it's just not as thrilling. And that that's what leads to the sort of dismissal of the audience. Yeah, I mean, I think that is exactly it, which is like a lot of – you want to be seen and 10 years into comedy, you're just trying to get that part where like people are coming to see me. They see it. I've done it. The, you know, I think Gary Goldman had a, one of his many tweets was about – vulnerability is the key to it and the first 10 years just doing stand-up is vulnerable but then yeah. once you get past that you need to find a new way to be yeah. vulnerable so it's um it's like spicing it up in the bedroom yeah yeah but so it, it's <laughs> it's um there's a term in legal theory that i bastardize all the time but um my can't wait which is the meeting like essentially it's in contract law which is essentially you want to have a meeting of the minds which means 
a contract is, in my understanding of it, which is wrong, the only way a contract is truly valid, truly correct, is if both parties have the exact same understanding of it. Mm. But that is impossible. So negotiation is essentially getting as close to it the, as, as possible. Yeah. And that is like the art of stand-up comedy is, I always say, it's like taking a trip in someone's brain at its best if the comedian's good enough at expressing their own brain. That's right. And and you're wanting the audience to get what they're trying to say of what it's like to be them and really get it. You, you really – you understand it, Jesse, because – when comedians at my level, just meaning having done it for yeah. two decades, when we talk about stand-up, in the first 10 years, you're like, and you should say Sprite, Sprite is like a lemon <laughs> went on a, a date with a lime, but it just gave him a hand job because yeah. there's not a lot of lime. Yeah, yeah. You know, like we're giving each other uh, comedy. Yeah. Now, when we talk, we go, you need to say I didn't know that that's how phones worked before you start talking about mm-hmm. – texting like because otherwise no one understands what you mean we're always just clarifying yeah. for each other because we know that the real mistake is being misunderstood rather than you need more lime hand job stuff <laughs> i want to talk about the comedy boom a little bit because sure neil brennan and i talked about it a little bit and this is the phenomenon that like everybody's complaining that you can't do comedy anymore yeah. i was sort of laughing during that the biggest time that's what I'm, you get it already i'm like I say this on stage. I go, I don't think more people are offended. I just think more people have voices. Yeah. It doesn't get a laugh. I just want to be on the record for saying it. <laughs> I think it's fair. People were always offended. People were always ha- to having discussions. Mm-hmm. We just couldn't see them. Yeah. So there's – people are going like, uh, oh, I can't, I can't do this. Where did you find out? In a stadium. <laughs> a sold-out stadium. Oh, everybody's such a fucking push-push. They can't take a joke. You mean the 50,000 people that came and saw you? Nine of them tweeted, or, or maybe yeah. it was 900 of them tweeted. But still, they're buying tickets. They're coming. Yeah. It's the best time for comedy. And people still have the audacity to be like, is it hard to do? You do? Like, I, I'm not teasing Joe, but Joe Rogan was like, asked Robert Downey Jr., could you make Tropic Thunder now? He's like, yeah. I, I And I think he would agree. But I mean, like, that is the attitude that I see over and over. Yeah. It's like, could you do that now? You couldn't do Blazing Saddles now. But, like, would you even want to? Like, that's a different You would time. never do anything exactly the same. That would be crazy. That's right. Because comedy does not age that way. That's right. It evolves. I, I, there was... Culture evolves. Culture evolves. That's right. And, like, comedy is reflecting and riding the line of that culture. And if the that's line right. has moved... You could do it. It just will sound wrong. Like there's, right. I mean, that's the thing. It's like a lot of older comedians are just talking like they always did, and which is fine. But then just don't be mad that you don't have young fans because they right. just have a different vocabulary for it. Right. It's it is the the comedy boom thing is so funny. It's just sort of more people care about comedy than ever before. Like care about it, not just like it. Like during the eighties, a lot of people liked it. That's right. But even so. It was Eddie Murphy wasn't playing and... a football stadium, yeah. and he, when he was the biggest comedian ever, he wasn't playing a football stadium. Right, and we've, you know, in the last five years, we've had two comedians, if not more, have played football stadiums. But it's um, my my sort of the of the many reasons. It's it's we are the this comedy boom is the child of the last comedy boom, in that we grew up when our parents on their nights off like got a babysitter and they went to see stand up comedy. Yeah, and then we. 
uh, I once wrote a piece about this, which is the most famous comedian ever is Jerry Seinfeld, the character from the show. Oh, interesting. Not the Jerry Seinfeld, the stand-up comedian, is a very famous comedian, one of the most famous, but the most famous comedian that the most people have ever watched. The pilot is in the audience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but is that guy? Is that yeah. character? And we've all, were our generation and a little younger, a little older, were taught to care about the lies of a comedian. Yeah. So that was sort of wave one. And then Jon Stewart and The Daily Show, society said comedians are important. Yeah. So we were told this. Right. And Comedians, then SNL sort of filled out the suit, too, being yeah. like, we're influencing elections. Yes. that This all mystique happened, which I sort of I, – I, I do not like when comedy's success and its power is defined by how it affects political things. I think that is overrated because of the nature of who writes about this stuff tends to be not people who actually care about comedy's art form. But nonetheless – we are a generation that was told that comedy is a big deal, that is a powerful thing, not little scrappy nobodies who are like playing for right, playing for two drink minimums in front of twelve people. Yeah, comedians are. It's not big, rubber chickens yeah, anymore. It's it's the most successful people in the world, and it's important. So now we just hold comedy to a much higher s- standard than arguably comedy had been prepared to be held. Now we have the opportunity to. Define what that means to hold comedy at that standard. Yeah, of people caring like that was. I remember there. Were, I can't remember which controversy it was, but essentially there was some controversy. And the piece I wrote was like, seems like people really care about comedy right now. Like yeah. just the fact that people got mad at it. Yeah, when like th- this comedian. You know, twenty years prior, like no one, like none of it would just be some nightclub. Nothing. I know when people are like, I, I think some of the guys that have been doing it longer. I was talking to my uh, the MC this past weekend. His name was Billy, and we were talking about what a thrill it was for him to meet David Tell. Yeah, and I get it. I never saw David Tell and didn't think it was cool. But there was a time when you could have gone in the cellar and just smoked a cigarette with him, no problem. Yeah, like and by a time, I mean ten years. Yeah, like it was not. I mean, even I saw, I saw Dave Chappelle at the cellar for he did three hours. He he was a, two feet away from me. He did it was he came on at one thirty, ended at three o'clock or something. Wow, like we missed a train. It was, it, but it was like this is this big moment. But like, I got a there is the comedy cellar had a deal where you can like essentially get free tickets if you bought them online. No, I remember that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that was how unpopular the comedy cellar yeah. was. You were papered in, yes, essentially. Chappelle. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, and. Now, there's a little bit of, like, there's a generation that is still around who's like, the audience is your enemy. They don't know anything. We're just trying to destroy get whatever here and out. It's like, they're confronting. It's like, this audience is, like, sensitive in sort of a good way, which is, like, their senses are open. They want to hear you. They yeah. want to see you. So if you reject them, it is a little bit harder because they are yeah. actually, like, being like, who are you? And you're like, fuck off. And you're like, right, well, this is right. a not. It's the almost like parenting want. styles yeah. too. It, it feels like comedians become like different types of parents. And there was a time when we wanted more of a like fuck off dad, or we had a more of a fuck yeah. off dad. And now we're like, Dad, who are you? And that confuses the shit out of my dad. Yeah. But I, the way that I am it, it is uh, a little bit different yeah it's like the more open dad <laughs> comedy. Yeah, i mean i th- and then and that will ke- there'll be like there'll be there- somebody doing something that makes yeah, me i mean like, like hey. they'll the next there's a 23 year old 24 year old like i there's people that are just coming up in new york that i see they're doing as new york allows you to do some weirder stuff and people are and they're selling out union hall 
of night where I know that I'm like, oh, once they get it, they're going to be the freaking biggest. What is what is what is their way to disrupt what what's happening? Well, I'll, I'll say there there's one person who is like to me is doing an Andy Kaufman esque confrontational relationship to the audience, and the audience is on board. I, I mean, I'll say it, there's a comedian Z way. I was I was like, is this a compliment? I was like, wait, I'm talking about how what they're doing is revolutionary. There's a comedian Z way. Uh, she's a writer on Jesus and Mero. So she'll sing a song and she'll ask the audience to sing along. If they don't, she'll do it again. And if they don't do it well enough, she'll do it again. And yeah. they'll have them stand up. And she'll she's done that once. Like I've seen her do like the national anthem. And here's the thing, like. And the audience is, but it's a happening. It's a happening, it's but it hasn't. More, yeah. It hasn't totally turned the corner of they. They're a hundred percent in on it. They're getting it. It sounds but, like early Steve Martin. Yeah, it's all, but it's a modern version. I, of, I, I don't mean derivative. Yeah, I mean it's comforting to me to go like, yeah. There's only so many ways to disrupt. It's well, like either you take it serious, like Mulaney's taking it serious. Exactly. It's like hello, and then he does his act. Yeah, and then somebody's an going like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have you stand and sing the national anthem because you guys are so fucking locked on your phones and like nothing happens to yeah. you. I'm going to give you the feeling of something happening to you. It's like, I keep waiting for like, um, like Maria Abramovich, like yeah. style shock art stuff to make a comeback because I would go. If there was something where people are like, you got to go to this art installation downtown. It's fucking crazy. It's disturbing and it's weird. I think there's an appetite now for that because we get everything over YouTube yeah. to just go in a room where I mean, a woman is, yells I'm, twat at you and you're just like, what was that? And she had a, why, how'd she get a photo of my mother? And she's gone, twat, twat. Like the way that, yeah. this, like that's what Steve Martin was doing too. And he had that bit where he would have them sing Ramblin' Guy with yeah. him. And the joke was that you can't sing yeah. along to it. But like he was trying to disrupt it, the shtick of, you know, well, it's the fu- the you came to do it here. You came here for a good show, and I'm doing a bad show. That's right. There's <laughs> your violation. <laughs> thing. Exactly, yeah. which is like, and so this is a modern version of it. But I'm, there's like there's a lot of things that are happening that are that will be so different than what I have a value system to understand. That um, that it, you know, it there's really interesting stuff happening, mm. and the audience is the audience that that makes sense to. It's yeah. like ultimately what it is. Um, and Julio is part of that scene. I mean, that's the thing that the comedy boom, which has now lasted, I, you know, I, when I wrote a thing, it was, I was like, it started in 2009, which was when WTF started. It's, um, when comedy bang, bang, like comedy, then comedy death race started. It is coincidentally when I started getting into comedy again, but yeah. I think that's just a very fortunate thing that happened in my life. And it's right now at 2020, probably longer than the last comedy boom really was mm-hmm. by this point in the last kind of boom was sort of tapering. But what I'm seeing... The one in the 80s lasted 10 years? Yeah, give or take. I mean, it's hard to know, but like essentially by like 91, 92, all the comedy clubs were closing. Mm. And I don't think... I've not heard anything like that. I've not heard of any of these scenes drying up. But what I am have seen is, and this is, is new waves of people. And I'm like, this seems like this is now just the normal. We are now... This is not... We were not in a comedy boom. We were actually in the ascent of comedy as a art form like music or right. film or like TV. Like nobody, yeah, nobody says the music boom. <laughs> yeah, Isn't they'll that do little genres. Yeah. Like we essentially treated comedy as a genre, a subgenre of, of culture. Live culture. Yeah. yeah, 
But now it doesn't because we take comedy so seriously. And it I just think it feels we, like it's a thing. It's a thing. And like my hope or like what I my mission, if anything, as a outsider in comedy, who I hopefully is here to what I believe is help comedy, where I think some people think I'm trying to hurt their idea of what comedy is, is like, let's do it. Let's codify what it means for comedy to be good. Let's codify not necessarily taste, but like singular taste, but what it means to appreciate comedians that you don't necessarily laugh at. Right. Which is like, we are able to do that. Like people go like, what do you think of the movies? Like it's really good. You know, it's not not my, not my favorite thing. Right. But like, that was really good. We can do it with movies all the time. Yeah, that's right. You can also see movies that are horrifying and offensive yes. and disturbing. Like, um, what is that David Lynch movie where he's in the, in the closet and he's watching the woman. Is it Blue Velvet? I feel Blue like I've Velvet. only seen Blue Velvet. So. Yeah, it's Blue Velvet. Great. The point of that movie is to disturb you. Yes. But we as a culture have learned to go like, I get it. That's what's happening. And when you watch uh, Jim Norton, who I think I think Jim is great. Yeah. You watch and you go like, that just is offensive. Jim knows that's offensive. And that's what we're doing. We're watching that genre of movie. And it can be... I mean, don't get me started. I'm so boring. But like, I think there's something really beautiful about hanging your dirty laundry on the line mm-hmm. and letting the neighbors see it and just going like, yep, I don't care who you are. We all have a shadow self. And one of the great ways to deal with it, I've said this a million, is a roast is a great way yeah. to like make fun of people's darkness and our own darkness and to do like offensive fucked up stuff because like it's very lonely in this world to think that you're the only one that has knee-jerk, terrible thoughts, yes. feelings, desires. And this is what we had, Freud and, and Jung and, and Edgar Allan Poe. And we had these guys. Like The reason I mentioned Poe is because he had that term called the imp of the perverse, which is when you're standing on a ledge with your uh, loved one, you think for a second of pushing them off. And that is part of the human experience. Yeah. And everybody knows that. Everybody knows. There's been many times when I'm with my baby or with Val or whatever it is. And you just, you just have the thought that you don't want to have. And that that's very lonely to see. And especially coming from a a religious place to pretend. Yeah. And, and Richard Rohr would say so much of spirituality has become morality and has become like an ethics play where you're pretending like a transformation has happened and you go around and you don't swear and you smile, but nothing's really happened in your heart. There's been Mm -hmm. no true conversion of how you see the world. So you just go around kind of pretending these are the people with the bodies in the basement. These or these are the people more realistically with the with the prostitute lovers or yeah. whatever it might be because there's no healthy way or meaning harmless way and harmless is debatable to exonerate these things and exercise them. And and one of the great ways to exercise them is with comedy is by laughing. Yeah, I think the 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 best argument for broadly defined offensive comedy or whatever is that it is the gallows human Gallows, gallows humor of existence. That's right. That we are all existing in terrible circumstances. Right. You were born in a terrible And so we are, we are giving, essentially, um, we're shining a light on it to lessen the impact. The sort of thing about, this is part of why sort of talk therapy exists, which is if you talk about things enough, it just sort of doesn't weigh as much That's right. on you. That's right. And that is sort of, comedians are sort of offering that as a public service. If they are being aware of that, to some people, talking about certain things can affect people in certain ways, and they have there's the power to that, that they should not take lightly, right. and think about if what they're saying is worth it. Is this offense? I, I, I was talking to Mike Rebigley about this, which is like, is this thing that 
is using an atrocity or something that might be traumatizing for someone to elevate the stakes of your joke worth it is and that is actually dude i just wrote a joke where i was like everybody was like that's a great joke i'll actually tell you the joke because i I, i'll sorry but finish your point well that's that that's mostly it which is sort of like that is what when in the sort of goal of taking comedy seriously that i sort of want comedians to do which is like analyze it from all parts which the best comedians do i think and i also want audiences what with taking comedy seriously is to not just take comedy seriously in the one way that we've told is which is sort of um if we don't what i say is that if we don't have a vocabulary for judging how comedians do what they're doing or 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 sort of why we just sort of judge them by what they say and that is not interesting Mm. comedians are more than what they end up talking about it is sort of how is context yeah and i think that is the goal is what especially with my, my podcast is sort of let's give people an insight to how we should be watching these people. It's sort of like um, there's a, a a book of that really important in the history of art called ways of seeing by John Berger. And it's about like, we're looking at art of this one way and we need to not look at this way if we want art to move forward. And that's, that's what exactly right. When you look at an Andy Warhol, you can't go, my kid, kid could paint. That. Exactly. You have to understand what he was rebelling against yeah. the time that he was living in. And I would say the joke of using a print of mm-hmm. a cat over and over and over and over and writing meow on it. Yeah. That's a joke. And you're going, it's bad because it's not technically difficult. I mean, like that is just a great. Yeah. I mean, we did um, point at Vulture, making. we did two lists of the hundred jokes that shape modern comedy. And the second one, I wanted to expand it out and we include um, this art that was just an upside down uni- uh, uni- uh, urinal upside down urinal and that's like essentially was a comedy like essentially like you that is a definitive like that's not a painting of flowers like yeah but he's saying this is art too right and that is the it's the same sort of thing which is sort of like julio saying stand-up comedy is sitting down with shapes coming by and i'm sorry i i've been so i've been on a real richard roar kick so there's going to be spirituality peppered throughout no i think i mean to me it's really it is spiritual i hope you're into it well, Jesus, uh, in the story, uh, let's not worry about it uh, being literally true or not. That's boring. But when he was saying, I am bread mm-hmm. and I am wine, he's saying, like, it's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a fucking – in a cult – so forget con- context when it comes to religion, context when it comes to art. It's maybe the whole point mm-hmm. is yes, to exactly. look at the context. So in a time that was obsessed with saying, like – you need to be in not just the temple, but an inner part of the temple, and you need to be a man to get in that temple. Mm-hmm. You need to be these purity rites. You need to do these rituals. You need to pay this to get into the temple, yep. whatever it is. And Jesus is going, I'm God, and I'm this bread, and I'm you. As mm-hmm. God loves me, I love you. He just keeps going. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's like one of the most hippie messages everywhere. And yeah. then, of course, we took it and went like, you can't eat the bread if you've been divorced. And I mean, I can hear Jesus laughing. At, yeah. I mean, it's like that's what happens when context is removed and yeah. when there's no historical understanding. And everything's about Jesus, if you ask me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, here's the joke. I think this would be interesting mm-hmm. for your uh, podcast, and I just hope you enjoy this. Sure. This is a real green room talk. Mm-hmm. I wrote a joke. I was. Uh, I don't get high a lot, but I got stoned. 
And I w- and then Leela got up in the middle of the night. So I was kind of stoned and I was rocking her, which is actually really nice. Mm-hmm. You're like merging with your baby <laughs> sure. and the room is dark and it sort of looks like grape soda. It's like this purpley quality to the darkness. And it, I'm just having this really great time. That sounds like I was stoned out of my mind. Yeah. It's that way when I'm sober too. Yeah, yeah. But I also happen to be stoned. So I, could, I, I was watching my mind and my mind was having more stone thoughts. And my mind was going like, I was thinking about how my parents don't understand uh, transsexuality. And I was trying to, this is 100% real, I was trying to have compassion for them. They don't get it. Mm-hmm. If you have a penis, you're a boy. That's the end of it. Yeah. To, it's so fundamental to them. And I'm like, of course, this is why I can't do this joke, because listen to how long I have to explain <laughs> yes, exactly, it. Yeah. I want to be so clear. I've never struggled with the idea that mm-hmm. who you are inside doesn't make, might not match how you are outside. Because guess what? I, I, and I, I can't fully relate, but I understand that feeling of who I am in my soul, in my identity, might not match mm-hmm. my, my exterior. That even goes – this sounds like I'm trivializing it. It even goes back to like little things of going like, I'm not a sports fan. I was in a town that just yeah. loves sports, and I was like, I'm in a Red Sox shirt because I was told to wear one. And I was like, I don't give a fuck about this. I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm, I'm, that's my attempt to relate. Yeah, it's almost like you're, you would be telling your parents, you know that small feeling that you allow yourself have of not feeling right. Imagine that be Is, the entirety of right. your existence. That's right. I'm saying that point zero zero one. I could yes. see that being – I'm 100% something that you don't see. Yeah. I do not struggle with that. Listen to how long it takes to <laughs> yeah, set exactly. up this joke. But then I was going, what would the way that the world works, and we're kind of talking about this with comedy, there's always going to be like another evolution. And I was like, I wonder, this is where it starts to get like a joke. I don't really mean this. I was like, I wonder what it'll be when I'm 75. Mm-hmm. It's a compassion exercise. Yeah. When I'm 75, what will it be that, that Leela will tell me about that I just won't understand? Because my parents, I have to think, in the 60s and 70s were probably pretty groovy. Yeah. <laughs> and they couldn't have seen this coming. And I'm like, well, it would have to be something that I consider to be fundamental. My parents consider gender to be fundamental. I do not. But I do consider age fundamental. So I'm like, if in the future people are like, I'm 22, but I identify as 80, which is why I'm retired. So that was the joke. Yes. And I was like, if I wanted to, I could go on stage and say, what will it be when I'm older? Are are people going to be trans age? Like, I'm 20, but I identify as 80, which is why I'm retired. I think that would get a laugh. Here's the problem. And I think you you already see where (laughs) this is coming. I know, just like with my Christian joke, I'd get the wrong laugh. I'd get the laugh of the people that go, yeah, what's next? I'm a unicorn. Yeah, yeah. And what I'm trying to actually do a joke about is that helped me understand my parents because that does seem odd to me, someone saying, I don't identify with time. Yeah. But all people would hear is I go, if you pull that thread, next thing you know, potatoes, not potato, meat's not meat. Like all yeah. people, uh, scared people want to do, and, and I include yeah. all of us in that, is have clear boundaries and go, you got to Vic, you're a boy. Stop fucking with the system. So I go, you're 75, you're 75. You can't be 20 and 75. And that's all that here. And I tell people that joke once or twice backstage. And I, I just go, I have a joke. I don't think I can do it. And they all go, you can do, that's great. You could do that. Yeah, yeah. And then I go, I think it would get the wrong laugh. And every comedian goes, you're, you're right. Yeah. That's what would At happen. At least somebody will. And then you're like, well, that's, you failed. Is it comedian. worth it? Yeah, is it worth it? And you failed at stand up is communication. It like many art is. It is it's That's not right. like we it's not like 
assuming evolution existed, we evolved to have funniness exist, and it is a form of communication. And if you know you were going to fail at communicating, that's right. Then you are, or then, it's going to take me forty five minutes yes, to explain yes, yes. it and then break down the la- like. It's not. I don't mean it's not worth it as a business. Yeah. Like it's not effective. I mean it's not worth it to. Let's talk about if a soul exists. It's not worth it to my soul. It doesn't feel right, and that's a consideration I don't see a, us making in the eighties. No, <laughs> that's no. what. That's how comedy changes. Where it's like, I think there is a commitment. I think we we have talked about this before, which is why this everyone who came up in this comedy boom, especially at the beginning, was aware that one existed and it ended. And and it's partly because that generation. And we're not, and we associate that generation with all the famous people that like came out of it. But we're talking about the sort of people that don't exist anymore. They're probably not doing comedy anymore. And if they are, they're the really cynical people in the road who have all these. I'm not ro- trying to be funny. A lot of them are radio DJs. Oh, there yeah. you go. You you see them on the road. So like, but they took it for granted. They're like, we're just doing it. We can do it anywhere. We're gonna get like and- the guys that are like, I get paid in cash, and then they do coke, and then they're like, it's yeah. fine. There's always next weekend. But like. That consideration is necessary for comedy not to become irrelevant. That like, and, and as that, Gilbert says, we're post behind the music. Yeah, we know that we can't just light yeah. it all on fire. And that is the thing that I try to make. Like, there's a lot of comedians in New York right now who sing. That's like a big thing that's happened in New York. Hmm. New York is there. It, we wrote a piece about it, which essentially the New York comedy scene is very queer, both in terms of the sexuality, but also just sort of the way they are approaching the art form. They they're queering mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and. It's a lot of singing. Some some of them have hard jokes. A lot of them do. Sometimes it is just singing. Wow. And you're like... But not musical comedy, just singing. Sometimes it is like... They'll do a show, and part of it will be like genuine singing, but maybe they'll do a little face. It is closer to cabaret. Yeah. Right? Like cabaret, when, especially See, when you're in New York... more things change, man. It, when you were in New York, Joe's Pub existed, and no, no comedian really was doing shows there. At least, and then And then there was... Uh, shows there's Big Terrific and there's all these shows and they're in different parts and there's the clubs and those are sort of three different worlds and th- you know there's people that like there's a lot of comedians doing shows at Joe's Pubs right now and there's a lot of Cola Skull is probably the big, big example of Joe's Pub a- acts who are doing shows at the Bell House or whatever mm-hmm. and that is that is the next change that is going to happen in comedy. I'm so excited. And we, as comedy stewards, have the ability to accept this, Yeah. to embrace that, like, hey, this part of the world that did not feel safe in this space because, one, there were comedians actively being... Um, that's right. Hobo-hobo. It's hard to go up after the guy that's like... Yeah. And they're just sort of like, that was not what was expected. Now... In New York, it has become safe space, that be, which is such a funny thing that it's become such a negative word because literally all comedians are constantly trying to create safe spaces for themselves. That's right. So, But safe space for the regular guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the person exactly. on stage getting paid to do that's it. That's right. It, so it, it, that's the thing, which is like comedy has – right now, I see it. You're like it's going to – some of these comedians are bubbling up. Bo and Yang is probably now – the big example because he's on SNL and you can see the types of things he's doing on SNL. That stuff mm-hmm. did not mm-hmm. really exist in that way. We're not just talking about being a gay person on SNL. There has been gay people on SNL. But to do what I th- would call queer comedy – and he's doing he – he's incredibly talented. He's doing lots of – but part of what he's doing is of this sensibility. And kudos to SNL to letting that happen. Kudos to SNL for um, like having him let – to, to being a show that can adapt mm-hmm. everyone shits on it but like like rupaul's hosting mm-hmm. coming up or has come up depending on when this airs which is 
RuPaul's been around for a while. That's right. Right now, comedy, like, this is the moment where RuPaul's doing it. And it's like, yeah, of course, RuPaul. That's right. And so that's the thing, which is like, if I we love can, that. I'm if so we excited. can keep on, you know, especially as a lot of these people start moving to LA, as these things do, as you'll see. And, um, and, and that, that's the thing. I'm just trying to you go from the casino floor to the cashier's window. <laughs> Come to LA, bring your chips. What do you got? An open heart? Here's 50. You got a good face? Here's 200. Welcome to LA. Instagram became a place. But I'll buy you a house. <laughs> That's the sound of the, the industry. That was, the siren song of yes, LA. Well, you don't even have to say the industry. It's just LA. Yeah, it is just LA. And we have some carpenters. <laughs> they build our sets. You got a hammer and a nail. Here's 50 and a, a lunch voucher. <laughs> I'm making fun. Sure. Uh, that makes me so excited. But it does go back to what I'm saying about Richie Rohr yeah. and keeping open and always learning something new yes. and evolving and going with the change. And when you tell me comedy is getting more queer, I just couldn't be more excited. Yeah. I know it's silly, but like I, I, the last person I saw... Um, I guess what's silly is that she's not a queer comedian, but like Kate Berlant. Yeah. No, Kate Berlant is a... I saw and I was like, what the fuck is happening? But she'd be on a show. I I mean that in the good way. Yeah, yeah. I should do a show with me. And afterwards, that's the only person everyone would be talking about. And there were murderers on the show, but everyone just wants the girl that had a fake conversation with one of the lights. Kate and John are part of the... John Early. They set a tone that a lot of the scene has sort of been born out of and it is and it's interesting because i remember seeing kate on shows and doing let's say less well than other people and it's literally being like you when we say ahead of our time ahead yeah, of your time yeah. it's too there was a time when sushi was weird yeah so it's like literally <laughs> seeing a person ahead of their time that i'm old enough even though this was probably four years ago in the span of four years a person the time is now or the time is in two years that whenever the time is when this is really ready, like this is what it is. Like she, she, she ran the the under three other four minute mile or whatever. Like whatever was the thing that was not. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Whatever was the barrier that we had not broken. It's hard to find because it's ephemeral and it's art. She did. Yeah, and she, and John also did, and it gave people a vocabulary to start. It's like. I feel like comedians always talk about you start copying people. And if you're only copying the same three people, then comedy is going to be That's right. born out of those three. But now if we, everyone's starting and they're doing 90 people, like, oh, I'm starting out and I'm, I want to be, be like Chelsea Peretti or whatever. That is already more options than exist. That's people. right. Or if like, that's your model, Chelsea used to be the weirdest person yeah. on the show. And now she's like just a standard. Because now we've we as audiences have become more savvy to it. That's right. We've taught, you've taught us how to laugh at it or whatever. That's right. But we needed to know. Yeah. That's why I was saying one of the palette colors for Delaney and me and everybody is, oh, Gabriel Iglesias. He's being Gabriel Iglesias. Yeah. This delights me. Mm-hmm. So you learn Andy Warhol is being Andy Warhol or Bruce Springsteen is being Bruce Springsteen. Like we're getting, yeah. we're learning what, I remember doing comedy in San Diego when they didn't have any clubs there and they would applaud at the weirdest <laughs> times. And I was like, oh, like literally mm-hmm. I felt like an anthropologist. I was like, you guys don't have comedy in yeah. enough to know what an applause break is. You're just applauding 
because you like to joke, well, the haha is for that. And I would just kind of tell them <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. And they liked it. And then I'd have to be like, no, I'm not mad at you. This is me being pretend mad yeah. at you to delight you. And then the la- it was like one of the weirdest shows I've ever done. Right, it was of like, that's the 10 thing. years like, ago. I feel like. And maybe it still happens. People are still so nervous the comedian's going to yell at them. Yeah, I know. It's like a very... No, I know. For I remember it out here all the time when I'd invite people to shows. Like, oh, they're going to talk to me. It's like, they're not going to talk to you. Yeah. There's there's one... That's really the biggest difference between alt and, and club is that the clubs, they still will talk to you. I know. And ask for things to say. Like, I've, you just never do it. And, and make fun of whatever you say. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of music do you like? Oh, that's that music. Uh, <laughs> Of course, look at that shirt. No matter what you say, yeah. I could have known by the shirt. I should have known by the glasses. You were going to say Mumford and Sons. I'm just feeling silly. Uh, I love that you said the four-minute mile thing, too, because when someone broke the five-minute mile, that's when all these other runners yeah. started breaking the five-minute mile. There's, there is a collective unconscious. In this case, it's a collective conscious, meaning we now know it's possible. We now know Kate Berlant is possible. I'm going to now put on my shoes. And in yeah. the stupidest way, Seinfeld, I w- I've been talking about Seinfeld a lot lately. Neil and I were talking after he did the podcast and he, he mentioned sign language and I was like, that book changed my life. It's when I realized what I think other guys think and they're doing it on stage. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's exactly. And the joke that it did it was he goes, soap on, soap on a rope? Why do we have this? Because it rhymes. I don't need shaving cream on a wooden beam. And when he said sha- – he didn't even say it. It's in the book. Yes, he just wrote it. I read that, and I li- – this sounds like I'm making fun of the joke. I loved the joke. I love the joke. And I went, I can do comedy. Mm-hmm. I think shaving cream on a wooden beam. And now a whole other group is seeing uh, Julio do stand-up, and they go, oh, I, I'm welcome. And yeah. that makes me really excited. I feel like you hear about that all the time. Who was I just talking? Oh, Jenny Slate was like, I never saw comedians that could be the thing that I was. And then I, she started doing stand-up. You have to do what, yeah. And then you're like, oh. And then that, and truly like paradigm shift just from her existing. I mean, like Christian Shaw, I think, completely changed it for a lot of people. Yeah. And they, you know, like Christian Shaw, of all people, like was following their muse. Like, it, yeah. Christian's my favorite comedian. And, and is partly like, she had a dream of a birdcage, and she wrote a joke about it. Yeah. But now, because she did that, a lot of people who are dream, ca- dream birdcage dreamers are like, maybe I'm a comedian. Oh, and if we say yes, like I think, you know, there's those people like, oh, it's too easy to do comedy now. It's like, why do we want it to be hard yeah, that's for people who, f- who might be trepidatious of starting to do comedy to be like, maybe I can do it. And then they're going to do something different because they were the people that used to be scared of. I love that. You just reminded me, Tony Campolo is a uh, spiritual teacher, and he has, I'm going to say he has a bit. Yeah. He has a lot of great bits. <laughs> he had this bit where he goes, people are mad at me because I'm, I'm soft on the gaze. And he goes, what am I supposed to be, hard on him? <laughs> and I was like, he doesn't mean erection. Yeah. He means I'm supposed to like beat them up. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't mean physically, like verbally attack them. Like, is that what you, that's what you want? It, it just brought me that to mind. Like you want it to be hard, but it's funny that you say that because I think what's going on when you see uh, the new wave of comedy, yeah. one of the things that is threatening to older comics is how precious and how difficult it was for us. Yeah, and just like all old parents, and we see the new generation sort of sliding into a different mm-hmm. and seemingly easier situation. 
we can catch ourselves being like, don't they know how precious it is? I catch that with Pete Davidson on SNL. I'm like, doesn't he know he's on SNL? Yeah. He should be singing and dancing. (laughs) And he's doing this thing that a lot of people love. And it's not what my generation would do with the same opportunity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And And that comes from that like old school which is me, mentality of being like, you gotta razzle-dazzle them. And that that actually comes, that's what I need to like make sure doesn't calcify. I need to stay fluid yeah. and go, this is the move now. This is Andy Warhol going, or this is the upside-down urinal going, this is what it is now. And when my heart says no to that, and like I'm watching a, a, a movement happening of people going, I love Pete. Yeah. On a, I'm not saying I don't like Pete on a yeah. I'm just saying it's not, uh, a Gen X move. It's a millennial kind of move. Yeah. Um, I want to have more conversations like this and stay fluid. Yeah. I mean, I think it is a thing of you, the, new generations come and they have a, you know, it's a different value system of what they think is funny, what they are rebelling against, right? They, you're young and you respond to some parts of what culture is and you rebel against other parts of that culture. And then you have the ability to sort of shape culture on your own. And, it really is realizing the people doing it are the same type of people. Like the person who decided to get into comedy is the same person that tried to get into comedy 60 years ago or right. 40 years ago. They just have a completely different world that, that they came up in. But this is a deeply <laughs> spiritual idea too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all us. Yeah. So you're only getting mad at you if you were born in 1998. You know, and that's so powerful to remember because we're like, I don't know if I can stand. He's only doing what you would do. Yeah. And what you did. Because what we did was the t- 2000 version of what they're doing in 2019. Yeah. All, all you know, the there's that show, I'm Dying Up Here or whatever, which was sort of, I didn't love the show, but there was one moment that good was book. a book. It was a good book. And, but there's one scene in it or one episode that I think is like essential, which was Judy Gold is playing a very old style comedian to the 1970s. So she's probably playing a comedian who was big in the 1950s. And she asked to do a weekend of shows at whatever the fake comedy store is. And she bombs. And there's a female comedian who essentially is the belly room comedian of whatever the fake comedy store is. And after her show is like, oh, I really liked your set. And Judy Gold is like, no, you didn't. It's like, you can't like this. Like, your job is to not like it. And he's like, and she said essentially like, Comedy doesn't age like other art forms do. All we can be are the shoulders in which the next generation stands upon. Oh wow! And and like I literally don't even know that's how they put it, but that's how it, like the and that is really it, which is sort of like stand up in and comedy is like a series of shifts that sort of we all are responding to, and you as a comedian have the ability to shape what is the beginning seeds of whatever's coming next, but you can't really stay truly relevant in the same way you can't be like a revolutionary in comedy constantly mm. unless you're constantly changing your style which really just just doesn't happen right there's no radiohead comedian yeah it just sort of i mean i not in, i don't and think of any stand-up who like more than once changed their style right there's like sarah silverman kind of did she was like really doing sort of like a character yeah i it was super ironic it was really gen x and then she sort of opened up to what she is now which is much more open-hearted and i think very current but like 
to then what if she then she would have to then again become like this right. cabaret and I, isn't dimitri martin like kind of he's opening up a little bit i, I feel yeah, in like you're seeing that special. but you're like right or it's like the classic example like a, richard pryor yeah. or george carlin chained once but right. like the idea that what like to constantly be updated is just sort of a thing that hasn't been expected with comedians where essentially it's like you do the thing that you're doing once you get it to work right that's what i say on this podcast all the time uh, I know that because Val was actually listening to an episode and I came home and I heard me say, <laughs> I'm still me. And I was like, because what happens is we extricate or, or we mm-hmm. um, put on display the totality of ourselves and we can grow and learn, but the fundamentals are still kind of there. Even if we learn the way we look at those lessons is going to sort of be similar. Yeah. And that's okay. It's It's weird to think that in 20 years... Uh, Mulaney, people like kids will be like, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like the fact that he's wearing a suit like an old timey guy, he'll just be an old timey guy. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah. And I'll just be like, like a corny. Like I'll probably seem like corny because when I was young and being sweet and fun and like a dad, yeah, it was ironic. I was like, isn't it weird? Yeah, yeah. That I'm like positive, and when Leela grows up. She'll just know her dad is like kind of like a hammy guy that her kids, it, her, it's her like friends how probably know don't think is cool. Every comedian who is a parent is like, my kids don't find me funny. Of course. <laughs> and you know what? And that's like, this- dude, if I start going Guy Fieri and trying real hard to just be like, pow, and yeah. like that, that's like a Homer Simpson move. Yeah. If I was like, what's up, everybody getting good Wi-Fi? Yeah. Like, I want to age with my audience, and I want young people to still like me, obviously, but like, it, the the card, it's in the cards. Yeah. Just, I keep thinking of parenting. Like, comedians are parents to the next generation, yeah. and we're going to look at each other. So that, that scene with Judy is, is Yeah, perfect. I think about all, I mean, there's, the other example was, when I interviewed the Lucas Brothers, they... They told me to, as they do, they're like, oh, you should read this philosophy book, which is, I think it's the history of scientific revolutions or something like that, mm. which is essentially. Um, what if that's just a bit they do? They find the most boring book and they're like, you got to read the thing. it. They really are very good at reading boring books. Mm. Regardless of how good they are comedians, they are like truly great at reading. That's, the, that's their best bit. <laughs> but they, I love the Lucas brother. But they, um, I was talking to an art, I, in, at, at work, I sit next to our art critic who is a bit older and he was just like. That is it. Like everything is sort of just like paradigm shifting and you can sort of like be able to sort of it's like I think of like Gary Goldman's last special, which is like he's not like he's an older than you are. He's not like old, but he's an older comedian. And and, and but he's not like I got to be current. So I got to use all the slang. Right. But he had to f- see as a good comedian does. How do p- how if you strip around strip out the words they're saying, but sort of what they're coming across. Right. How do I stay current to that? Right? You need to be real. Right. Yes. And real in a way that feels vulnerable. Not, and not yeah, really vulnerable. The thing that I, after the Louis stuff came out, I wrote a piece about this idea of truth in comedy. Because he was, you know, at a time we, was, we all decided he's the best comedian. We decided that's what it was. And he's like, he's real. Everyone else, he's, he's been, he's, and the truth was he wasn't. He was sort of controlling and he wasn't being vulnerable. He's deciding what parts of himself makes him seem vulnerable enough to play upon that oh, for joke. where gary what's why that special really worked is you see him at the beginning of that stage they do the documentary footage really really works you see him where he's being really vulnerable where he's like i 
when he's in the middle of the depression, he sort of like doesn't know how to be anything. And he's just sort of there. Mm. And then you're like, all of this is real. He figured out how to update the vocabulary of being a stand-up. He's as true a stand-up as anyone is. And he's like, I'm going to put documentary footage in. And he, he talks about certain modern day things from perspective of his, but he, he doesn't try to be cool. He just tries to be true to it. I mean, and I think that is the, the thing that always, it's like, watch i mean like i do i've done these two charity shows with padma from top chef uh-huh <laughs> she's gotten really into comedy and one day i was like hey do you want to put on charity comedy shows and she's like sure which is crazy she i didn't know her i never met her i just literally asked her on twitter and she's mm. like and so the lineup is a lot of these sort of young queer style even if they're straight comedians and but like roy wood jr did the shows who i think is just really incredible and he didn't do their thing. He's like, I guess I'm going to sing a song. He did his thing. Yeah. But like he did both. We did two shows per night. And, and I remember between sets, he'd be like, okay, I need to do sort of this. Like, oh, this audience likes this part of this. Uh-huh. And that is the job, which is like actually listening to what the audience is. I completely agree. I don't think it's emasculating. See, we're such a, we're talking about masculine and feminine energy. Yeah. And I don't mean men, men and women. Of course not. I think we have a culture yeah. that so values dicks Mm-hmm. fucking shit up we like blowing stuff up um even uh, i have nothing against bill maher obviously but his posters are all around town so i keep saying sorry not sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. i was like that is the dick going through the skyscraper mm-hmm. and we love that yeah. we're in america we're, we're in american culture we're an achieving culture mm-hmm. we're an imposing culture and more and more we're a self-interest in a narcissistic culture where we're just like deal with it and that's because we have this underlying misogyny yeah, and a homophobia. And there's a lot of stuff going where we just don't have the mythic uh, infrastructure. We don't have the value infrastructure to understand the quality of listening mm-hmm. and adapting and evolving. Because we see that, and this is obviously, but I'm going to be very clear here, fucked. Yeah. So wrong that we've lost the nuance of I'm listening to the audience and I'm going to flow mm-hmm. i'm going instead of being a big hard di- wooden phallus i'm going to be water and i'm going to move i'm going to be me yeah but and i'm going to be me in a way that i think will meet this audience in a delightful way for both of us we see that as weak we see it as no you go in and you fucking take a bat like it's the irishman yeah that guy touched you uh, said some shit to your daughter go pull him over the counter with your osteoporosis arms and waddle over to him like frankenstein and kick him a few times and that's one take and then you have a 20 minute nap yeah i'm just saying like we're a pull the guy over the counter culture goodfellas culture when really we should be like seeing the strength and knowing when and how to adapt yeah i mean there's the thing that i think of is I don't know if you've seen Maria Bamford recently, but she'll start a show being like, hey, you might have been brought here by a friend. I know I'm not for everyone. It's okay if you want to leave. Like She says that? Yeah, yeah. Wow. She, the, to me, that is a different... That's Strength is such a complicated word, but there's a resolution. There's a oh, humanity to that. It's just like... She's sort of like... If you're not having fun, I don't want. It's like it's okay. Like that I, vulnerability is true strength. That's the point. Yeah. Whereas our culture is only it's Iron Man. It's just like yeah. go in with the zap zap on the hands, and then later actually in Iron Man they did a good job showing his frailty. I'm gonna I'm gonna I don't want to just tease Iron Man, but I'm saying like we tend to miss that 
and we go, it's like people dressing up as uh, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho for Halloween. It's like, you didn't understand? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you just think he's a cool guy with money and he murders? Like, you didn't understand the depravity and the yeah. wound? What happens when you have no soul? When you have no connection? This is what we're dealing with. Yeah, so it, that, I mean, that is the thing that, it, regardless of sort of, yeah, men, women of it, is there is sort of like masculine stand-up has always been rewarded regardless of sort of gender. And then it's like, but you obviously clearly are seeing a, that as being rebelled against and pushed back upon. And as I said, like, I mean, that was when I even when I wrote the thing about Louis, I was like, we decided he was sort of the best. And what does it mean for all the gen- comedians who are influencing him when we said that is what best is? And maybe his version of truth isn't the version of truth that actually is what we should do. Maybe it's a version of truth that is more open-hearted to the audience. I, you know, like I was like, look, Maria Bamford is was much more open or just as open as Louis was, but she was also doing it for the audience to destigmatize mental illness, mm. and that is to the betterment of the audience. It was not about absolve me from my mental illness. Oh, it was sort of like leave here better than you came in which i also think is a thing that you do like you you, mm. you like i think it's a it is a spiritual thing doing which is like we have an opportunity with this show to like yes you'll enjoy this hour it'll be a re- relief but like what if just the fact that how we do it you are sort of leaving here with your brain expanding in whatever way right yeah i really appreciate that i would like it to i would like people to learn and i'm trying to learn yeah openness yeah like just like let's let's have it all be welcome here not just ideas but feelings and it, it's very mr rogersy it's yeah like, it's okay it's okay and and that is uh one of the finest compliments that i get is, is when people are like it's a show that's helping me learn how to be open and yeah. honest and i like that yeah i mean i, I remember when i can't remember when it was it's, i think at least i saw you and when you really got the idea of like this is the show yeah, I remember there's a phase probably like eight years ago whenever this dawned on you, you'd just be like, whatever I'm saying is the show, you're yeah. part of it too. Oh, as a stand-up. Yeah, yeah. That is, that's the Gerard thing. When you go like, this is the show. Having a talk show helped me realize that too. Yeah. When you're doing a monologue that like you only read once and it was backstage on the cue cards and they're just running through it. And then you're going out and you're like, it can't be just whether or not this monologue works. Yeah. It's whatever happens yeah, in yeah. the show. That's a very liberating thing. And it's a very liberating thing in a conversation. And it's a very liberating thing in a podcast. And that's what art can do. It can yeah. model a better way to be in the world. Yeah, or, or give people the vocabulary that their brain doesn't have the words to understand it. And then like, oh, now I literally can talk about this issue. That's right. And sometimes it's heavy issues. But the example I always like to use to prove that's not always is that Shane Torres gave the world a way to look at Guy Fieri and not hate him yeah literally this guy existed and a certain group of people were like that is the epitome of what sucking is yeah this guy and i remember i saw him open for kyle canane and he did that joke and i'm like when that joke gets to the internet the world is going to change yeah. and it did I, I mean we i knew it i reached out to his team like whenever this album comes out let me know we want to premiere this track wow. and we premiered it, and it was huge yeah because literally there no one's brain it's this, it's the formula right. mile stuff it's like literally no one's brain was able to think of this thing that's right. everyone had a uh in psychology sort of a schema of like what we think of when we think of a thing and we're like right oh we think of a douchebag the picture in the dictionary is guy fieri or that's whatever right. and then shane's like what if he's good yeah and we're like what if he's good yeah yeah yeah. Uh, it's it's so good and I, now literally everyone loves him 
I know there has been a turn. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna have Kenny G on the show. Let's see if we can do it with the G. Yeah, I'm not even kidding because he did Largo recently and people flipped out. And I was like, I wonder if G's gonna turn. To bring up Adam Sandler again, that is what's happening. Adam Sandler has been famous for 30 years. Yeah, that'll be successful. This is the year. Is the first time people have decided we all like him. Yeah. 30 years into an incredibly successful career, yeah. arguably unprecedentedly successful career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this year, now everyone's on. Everyone's board. like, we love this guy. Every, he got, he's playing Risk and he got every continent. Yeah. Right I now. Know. I saw him last night. It was awesome. We worked on jokes. It was yeah. a thrill. He's a big deal. He's a, and he's a great guy. I know. And he doesn't talk shit and yeah, in the good way. There's some guys that just put up a wall and they're just not fun. Yeah. Uh, like I, on stage, Judd was kind of like, who's an asshole in showbiz? And Sandler had the best answer. He goes like, oh, we're, we're, this is comedy. This is supposed to be like the lighter side. You know, we're here to we're here to delight people. And I was like, what a great way to evade. Like some people would just be like, Sean Penn. You know what I mean? But he was like, this is fun. I'm happy to be here. But he means it. Yeah. And and I I kept giving him all these uncut gems jokes. And like he was like, I don't I don't really like talking about my movies and I was like I really believe you and yeah. I'm going to pitch you just two more. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, but you haven't heard these jokes. <laughs> what a sweetheart. And I gave him a joke that Val wrote. Oh, really? Val wrote this joke where she goes, "Your phone knows everything, but every once in a while you catch it being insecure. Like you get a text from a number you don't have and it goes, "Maybe Ben?" And I gave that to Sandler. I told Val, and I gave it to Sandler, and he did it, and it worked. And this morning, what a, what a beautiful life. Yeah. I go, Adam Sandler did your joke, and it worked, and he loves it. And she was like, I mean, Val's cool, That's too. That's crazy. She's not going to like run around and scream, but she thought it was fun. That is fun. Is that fun? <laughs> yeah, it's Adam Sandler. It's so cool. But he's a legit, he's like Eddie Murphy, too, in that way that you're just like, some people can just do it. We tapped into a thing. The thing that... Uh, that I wrote about in this piece is like he thought he was tapping into a thing. He did a movie to tap into what he felt like was Gen X and his generation, or whatever. And then he succeeded in it. And every critic was like, this is shitty and he's doing nothing and it's stupid. Yeah. And here's this guy who's like, I thought I was doing something. <laughs> right. Duck Dynasty. <laughs> yeah. I, I was a good boy. What, what that brings us back to Click. Yeah. Why is Click number one? <laughs> I'm going to try and think of my number one Sandler movie. Sure. Was Gems out? Gems was like, is in the low teens, so 11, 12, 13, 14. One of my jokes to him was I go, I'm not one of those actors that like tries to like influence the directors. Like I'm not on set. Like, uh, what if the gems were cut? <laughs> I thought that was so funny. He didn't want it. Um, okay. Why click, number one? Yes. So the the piece is about what is the value system that, Adam is asserting in his movies that are important to him. It's, it's, you know, it's one, it's like, he's funny in it. That's that. And he is funny in that movie. He's very funny in the movie. He has other people in it. His friends are in it and they're funny in it. Yeah. So you have that little part of it. It is about a lot of his, up until that point, his movies were about growing up. They're really about, Hey, young people who are my fans. This is what it means to be a grown up. Yeah, it's Billy me- Madison's becoming yeah. a grown up. Happy He's Gilmore's a- becoming a grown up. Even uh, Big Daddy. Big da- th- and yeah. All of it is about growing up. And then this movie is right and, and is right at the middle of right before all of his movies become about being a dad, really, or sort of. There's this rough transition, but then now all of his movies are about being a dad. And 
And so Click sort of captured really this sort of culmination of his attempt to um, convey the idea of growing up through his work, where what happens when, like, now you have a job and you did it. You, you, you seemingly have achieved the goals that these previous movies said you need to be a grown-up. And it's you're not. It's still not succeeding, and it, and it's and it's a, it, and as a result, the movie is about sort of spending more time with your family and your friends, which is like then become the theme of the rest of the movies, which is sort of like your family and friends are what's important. This is a workaholic who's like what's important is your friends, and that's how he's able to unite it all. Right, and, and a, it's funny because that's what the movies are doing. Yeah, it's literally and that's him the thing. Out with his friends, like the movies are about hanging out with your friends and are hanging, out, hanging with out with his friends. friends yeah. And that's the thing that is. That's his, why, Katie, remember for 10 years I've been saying that's the career I want. Because imagine if I just got to be like, it's Kumail and there's Nick Kroll and Melania and we're all just yeah, in a movie together. Would that's be the, the thing. Best. We make, people make fun of him. This as uh, Tom Sharpling from The Best Show recently did this. Uh, he, wrote, he wrote for no reason a script for Grown Ups 3. Just I for, saw that. Yeah, he just did and it. And McKay tweeted it. He said, yeah. this would be a huge hit. It is so good. And it's like not a wink. It is like he wrote the movie. Like it's meta and it's interesting. But like ultimately he just wrote this movie. I should have asked Sandler if he saw it. I, um, he definitely did. I can't speak to that. I have, I have some information, but I don't know Ooh, what I'm free to speak. Jesse. But um, so. Did Happy Madison call. <laughs> It's not, it's not like I've thought, I have, I'm not part of it, but... Um, oh, I read your script. I thought your script was very good. Was it a making fun of me? Was it real? <laughs> sorry. It, honestly, it's like... What if the com- gems were cut? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, if you're doing the voice, it's all good. Uh, but uh, the thing that Tom Sharpling, who, you know, he's talking about, I was like, look, I'm a comedy cynical guy as anything, but like, I don't know anyone in comedy who would say, no, I don't want a lot of money to make a movie with my best friends. Yeah, that's right. Literally, it's like... Adam Sandler sucks, but like literally, the state has been working together nonstop. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, 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 yeah. And to me, and that's not to say that they're bad. Literally, I'm like, it's all the same stuff, you know. Like, there, this is what comedy does. This is his version. He has like certain lowbrow things that he likes doing, but also, I like a lot of things that are dumb but are done by smart people. Like that's right. what Adam's doing. Right. We just never gave him the credit for it. That's for right. Reason. I watched Jack and Jill. I was stoned, and I, I loved it. I had a really good time. That movie is good. It's really funny. It is also really... We couldn't get over the, the conceit. Which is the, it's just like parody of what a bad movie would be, but then you watch it. Al Pacino is awesome in it. And the third act, Jack plays, dresses up as Jill. <laughs> so this is a movie where Adam Sandler is now... It's like that is meta. That is so aware yeah, of itself. Yeah, yeah. But we write off as like it's the dumbest movie in the world. You're like, Dude, you're saying in 10 years we're all going to wake up and be where you are. We're all going to be like, I think. But it, and Adam Sandler's just going to go, abracadabra. <laughs> and we're like, wow, that was the greatest trick ever but done. it's a bit like what you watch when you're – hap- I think I noticed it because working in sort of culture writing, it's like things you watch when you're young are good because you're young and you have the taste of a young person. Then you get older and you still have the memory of the taste of a young person watching it. Yeah. So you were like – uh, to use an example from my age, I was like, Boy Meets World is good. Not just yeah. like a good young person show. Like, it's good. I wrote articles about it. It's good. My And then like people read it and was like, I agree. And now that is, gets to be called a good show mm. where older people never got it. So it's it's a thing that happens constantly, which is like things that young people like. They then get jobs to write what good is. And then they completely rewrite history. That's right. Wow, what fun. Yeah, I mean, that happens constantly. I mean, it's, it also happens in the entertainment industry, which is like, 
a young person who grew up watching whatever thing that's critically de- hated then gets a job. We're like, well, I like that thing. Right. And then it sort of goes. And that's yeah. sort of how culture shifts. What fun. I, Jesse, I can't believe it's been two hours. Val always teases me when I book this before I have to do something because yeah. I'm doing Conan today. Oh, wow. So I have to leave. Um, but I feel like we, I feel like we're halfway through. I really do. <laughs> I feel like that's a compliment to you. Yeah. You're a great guest. Oh, thank you. What is the name of your podcast? Cause people are going to want to hear from you. Oh, before. it's called good one. A podcast about out. jokes. Um, I don't um, know when this will come out, but it's, it's relaunching on February 25th. Great. Uh, so that's how we can get more of you. Uh, I'll check it out. Thank you for doing it. Do you want some CBD? Uh, sure. <laughs> Did you wonder about the legal ramifications of it? Here's mint chocolate. No, I've gotten this one. Because oh, really? Do you have a dog? No, I have a cat. You can give this to your... No, that's for dogs. You could give it to a cat. And here's uh, gummies for sleep. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's good. That'll help you go to go night-night. Right uh, CWHump.com slash weird. And the new promo is Keep It Crispy 17. Until February 14th, it's 40% off. What? Yeah. That's but that's, that's 100% off for you, my man. <laughs> I really love talking to you, man. This is great. We've been doing too many podcasts. <laughs> After this, we're taking a break. <laughs> we do? Who? Guess who's getting canceled? <laughs> Those two people are done. I mean their careers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're gonna, you probably know secrets about them that you um, could leave. <laughs> and they wrote Grown Ups 3. They got a call from Happy Medicine. Um, what I'm saying is I've been feeling burnt out, and this was a delight. It went down great. smooth like OJ. Not the man, the beverage. Mm-hmm. I understood. I I knew you did. Um, do you want to tell me the hardest time you laughed? Um, I have one. Hit it. So it's a comedy one because I couldn't think of a life one, which was – so when I was getting back into comedy, watching it, not performing it. I So I, as I said, I went to the comedy cell a lot as a kid, and then I got burned out because I would just see people do the same set over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ugh. And then uh, when I moved to L.A., I became friends with your former agent, Drew. Because we're both working, Drew Wellborn. Yeah, yeah, we're both working at William Morris. I love Drew. He's like, do you want to come to me this comedy show? I was like, okay, because that was his thing. So we went to Comedy Death Ray, was which is now Comedy Bang Bang. It was Comedy Death Ray. And the first week we saw Hannibal was on that. Sh- this is eleven years ago. Hannibal was on that show. And I was like, I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. The second week, Kyle hosted, and he is the day his right run his album came out, and he used to do this bit where he got a pizza menu. Do you know this bit? This is Kyle Canane. No. He has a bit where he got a pizza menu at his house, and he just reads through the menu to build to that this pizza place was selling a four and a half foot by four and a half foot pizza. <laughs> and so he's building to, he's like, so he's, the thing that makes a bit work is that he spends a long time on the three by three pizza. And then he gets, and I just remember almost like throwing up. But also, like my world, like <laughs> you laughing. think it's done with three by three, <laughs> and th- and you, I mean, like how Kyle's so good as like, and then you just imagine the scenario of you ordering this pizza and them making this, and I, as I said, like I had not seen as much comedy, and it was just sort of opening up this part of me, yes, and like I, like literally, and I've seen other times where I've almost thrown up, like something about Kyle live, yeah, I, I hurts, and I'm like, this is I gotta move. Yeah. And that was the, it was the hardest because I just like. Can we look it up? Is it online? Yes. There's a video of him doing it. On... Let's play the audio. Yeah. Can we close this episode by playing? The, we're going to play the audio. You don't have to do it now. We'll edit it in. No, I'm going to just make a note. Okay. Thank you, KT. 
KT. PT. P goes on PT. JF. When we email. Hey, KT. PT. Deal with it. <laughs> Deal with it. Done. You know what? I'm taking the CBD back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm deleting this entire episode. <laughs> no, you were a delight is my point. I don't know why I ended with a fake snark joke. And I love that. And we're going to play the clip and we're going to have a laugh. Yeah. Well, thank you. Would you say? Keep, uh, keep it crispy. Yeah, man. Uh, keep it crispy. <laughs> Double. Thank you. I, uh, I sit around my house and I, I, this particular day I was, uh, I was sitting in my house reading Walden and Civil Disobedience by Henry David Thoreau. I'm real pretentious. <laughs> and when I say sitting around my house reading Walden and Civil Disobedience, I mean laying on my couch, still trying to get through the introduction of Walden. Because it's a very dense book and I'm not bright. <laughs> so I was on uh, round two of going through the ten-page introduction to the book. Uh, and I was doing it with my door open. Uh, just my screen door. To think in my head, it was uh, maybe maybe like a UPS scare. Man, man, will walk by and be like, "Oh, look at this young guy uh, getting over the the trappings of uh, consumerism and capitalism, getting down to it." Look at that! Uh, way to go, young man. That's not what they would think at all. If they walked by and saw me, they'd say, "Hey, get a job, asshole." Is what they would say because I'm a uh, pompous. A uh, white dick with a beard and no job on a Tuesday afternoon reading Walden and Civil Disobedience. Regardless, I'm laying there trying to get through this book and my screen door rattles. And uh, that only means one thing. So look up, nobody's around, but, but it rattled. It means that the flyer gypsies have attacked again. I think this might be a unique uh, Los Angeles thing with the flyer gypsies. We all know, you come home, you know, you live in an apartment complex, you come home, you got nine menus for a Thai restaurant and three pedicure coupons. Just decorating like the Tibetan freedom flags just around your street. You're like, I don't want any of this. This is horrible that you've done this to me. I won't read them on purpose. I'll collect them, throw them out. You can honestly, at any point in this city, you could reach out to shake somebody's hand. There will just be a blur of undocumented immigrant flesh, and you'll just have a coupon hanging off your wrist. You don't even know. You just saw like a like a ghost pass by, and all of a sudden you've got you know this thing swinging from your hand about how you should try a vegan pizzeria somewhere. So the screen door rattled, and I knew what it was, and I got up and I was. In the middle of reading, but you know, trying to uh, get away from all this ridiculous stuff, and here they are, just polluting the world with more of the garbage, and just putting it on my door. And I normally I crumple it up right away. I don't even read it on principle. And I put it in my recycling bin that my landlord forced me to get. Um, <laughs> but this one, this one showed up. I have it with me, and uh, it showed up there, and it, it was large and yellow, so it caught my eye. Because in the end, I'm a, I'm a simple creature. Oh, it's big and yellow. I'll look at it. <laughs> but I got this. It's from uh, Big Mama's and Papa's Pizzeria. Apparently, they're they're both large. <laughs> and the first thing that excited me is that uh, Big Mama and Papa both. Uh, decided that it would be best in a design sensibility to actually have their cartoon explode outward over your door handle. As though Big Mama and Papa were just just destroying their own being. Trying to get to you. Just blow into the universe. 
But I look at this, and you know, I still have the book in my hand. I've got my thumb on, on page six. Like I, like I might forget where I, where I was reading up to. And still not understand it. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, this, you know, this is why I'm reading this book. is a jumbo pizza, 24 inch. This is ridiculous that there's an obesity problem. And this is why, look at this, just get it. It's cheap, and it's big, and it's horrible for you. And, and that I'm, I'm reading it, and the design leads your eye down to the bottom of it. But, and then Big Mama's 28-inch pizza. you got to get down to Big Papa's pizza, 36 inches of pizza. That's 36 inches. That's a cross. That's a dime uh, uh, circum, uh, the thing, you know, a cross of a circle. <laughs> I'm not good with the math terms. But a cross of a circle, that's three feet. That's three feet of pizza. A cross. That they're trying to sell you for $43. And right as I'm about to yell out, Horse shit to the world. <laughs> my, eye get, my eye gets to the bottom. And now it's no longer just the cartoons. Now it's real people, real pictures. It says, introducing... Okay, it's new. When you get introduced, you act polite. You know, you put on airs. Introducing... Oh, 54 inch by 54 inch pizza. 2,916-inch square pizza, largest deliverable pizza in the world. Now the being put in my place part comes when I throw down the throw book, yell out, God bless America, and run and get a tape measure. 54 inch by, that's four and a half feet by four and a half feet of pizza. Do you know what, this is, from me to that mic stand, is four and a half feet. Squared. Oh, they got pictures. It takes two guys to lift it into the oven. It's as big as, they only made it as big as the oven. If they had a bigger oven, it would have even been bigger. They said, let's make it as big, let's go as big as we can. Going for Guinness World Record, they have it written here. Going for the, they make no mention of taste in the whole oven. And no more, they go, well, but how does it taste? Like you need, like you need it sliced. You just throw your body on top of it. Sweet into your mouth, fatty. Get at it. You know they try to, like when you call for it, you know they try to, well, we can slice it here, and then no, you bring the big one. You bring, four and a half feet doesn't fit through a door. I had the tape measure out. Doors are like two and a half feet wide. They're this big. Oh, you gotta tilt, you gotta put it like this. You're just gonna get a giant roll of pizza. You gotta have a garage or a tent set up to eat the pizza. Or at least a sunny day and some inquisitive neighbors, you know. Because what are you gonna do? You got any extra pizza? No, sorry, it's all, it's all spoken for. You can't say that and not look like a jerk to your neighbors. Four and a half feet. I like to think that, like, I like to think they only made like five boxes too. Like nobody's gonna get the big pizza. I hope somebody gets the big pizza every day. I hope somebody orders that goddamn thing every day. They're like, we can't do anything else with our entire pizza place. It takes up the whole kitchen to make this pizza. You gotta deliver it in a truck. Or or hold it on top of a car like a mattress. That's the only way you can get it to a place. Two hundred dollars. It's two and a half. Extra cheese, 30 bucks. 
Thirty bucks. Who's gonna be that dickhead? Oh, you guys get the big pizza? Can I? I like a little extra cheese. Can I get a little extra cheese on it? Why don't you just eat three more square feet of pizza? If you like extra cheese so much, just eat another acre of it. Twenty-four hour advance notice required. I would hope so. I would hope you couldn't have. 16 square feet of pizza ready in 30 minutes. That would be a real suspicious pizza. I want 16 square feet of pizza, custom order. Alright, we'll have it to you in 25 minutes. That just means that, like, you can get drunk and order it, and then completely forget what you did. And then the next day your doorbell rings, and you're like, did we, get, did we buy furniture? What is this whole thing? But the most, and this is where the most beautiful thing, and this is what they've done, now with pizza, but with TVs, and with cars and everything, is that this is, this is an asshole pizza. You should just call it an asshole pizza. <laughs> this, what are you getting? 16, you're an asshole. <laughs> I don't even care if you have people there. You're being an asshole. Look at me, I got the big pizza. I'm a real asshole. <laughs> That's all. But what they've done is now the three-foot pizza for $43 seems totally reasonable. That's a, that's a totally sensible purchase. This one, you get, you're reading it, you're laughing, you get down to the bottom. Well, this is, this is just, this is the problem with America. We're just overburdened with gluttony. Give me the three-foot pizza. We're in a recession here. I'm not a jerk. Alright, you know, we're trying to conserve money. You give me three feet of pizza for $43. I'm not going to be some kind of uh, tyrant with this stuff. Uh, guys, uh, uh, thanks for coming and supporting us.